That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. One of the first things that I tell interns and production assistants who want to be part of this show is I say, listen, nobody wants to hear how tired you are. Nobody wants to hear about how you got caught in traffic. Nobody wants to hear you belly aching about your day. People are tuning into this radio show to do what? To get away from it all. To get away from that bad boss. To get away from the traffic. It's what you do. It's what I do when I'm in traffic. To get away from uh, whatever it is that is that is ailing you. So I'm not I'm not telling you this off the top of the show because I want you to know that I'm not at a hundred percent. But you can tell from my voice I'm not at a hundred percent. There's a little bit of snow in the air just outside the studio window. I don't know if there's a snowmageddon on its way, but. Uh, uh, I got what the kids had last week, and here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to ask you to uh, participate a little more as a listener to this show. The lines are open, 503-417-7575. I welcome first-time callers. I welcome people who want to talk about Gonzaga basketball. I welcome you if you want to talk about the NBA and who's tanking and who's not. I welcome you if you want to tell me about Las Vegas and the plans they have in Vegas to knock down one of the old casinos and maybe build a Major League Baseball ballpark for the A's. How fast will Vegas do that? I welcome your phone calls on Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith and Dana Altman and Wayne Tinkle. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm here for you today. And part of uh, the reason of opening this phone lines is I don't know if I can make three solid hours of talking. we got great guests but uh, I have seen uh, in uh, I've been doing this show long enough to know that uh, I'm going to need your help today on the program. And I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to get sympathy from you. But I'm just saying today, if you're if you're a caller who has for many years said I should call in sometime, today's your day. Find a reason. Find a question. You can line up now at 503-417-7575 on that front. I wrote today about Gonzaga, and it's really interesting. We talked a little bit about the Zags yesterday on the show and how they have it made in the WCC. And if you're somebody who subscribes to me, my writing at johnconzano.com, you get a free subscription or paid subscription, whatever you got, you know that Gonzaga is looking right now for uh, paddles to be raised. It's looking for interested parties it's looking for the Big 12, the Big East, the Pac-12, uh, the Mountain West Conference, whoever's interested in potentially landing Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's listening right now. And I found out today that they have hired a firm that is working behind the scenes to position them for a potential move. 
Gonzaga did get back to me this afternoon. They did not respond to comment this morning. Uh, they say they've been busy. They have uh, ESPN's College Game Day coming to town this weekend. They are taping, uh, you know, features and vignettes and interviews and meeting with the ESPN producers. And, you know, Gonzaga's a brand. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to, to figure out in expansion how much basketball will matter. How much will the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the Big East, if they decide to launch a Western division in the Pacific time zone, uh, how much of these conferences will value a basketball brand? Now, just to give you an idea, uh, the Gonzaga brand in basketball, you're talking a couple of Final Four appearances in the last three years. You're talking about more NCAA tournament units than any program in America in the last five years. Uh, they get an average of about three and a half units. You're going to hear that when March comes around. You're going to hear people talk about the, the units for the NCAA tournament. And they're going to say things like, uh, hey, uh, you know, the Ducks or UCLA, they got, they got an extra unit for appearing in a NCAA tournament game. And every time you appear in a game all the way to the Final Four, you get one unit. And that unit in last year's tournament was worth $338,000 to your conference. And, but here's the catch. It's paid over six years. So really, it's 338000 a year for six years comes out to uh you know a, a cool 1.7 1.8 million dollars whatever that is and uh that usually goes to the conference but in the WCC Gonzaga has negotiated a more favorable distribution they get a larger share when they make the postseason they also play two fewer conference games than they used to play uh they're down to 16 games in conference play instead of 18 and Gonzaga uses those extra two dates to grab big-time opponents and play some non-conference games that ESPN pays them for. Now, that money and that relationship is between Gonzaga and ESPN. It's not ESPN and the WCC. So Gonzaga's had it good for a number of years, 10 straight WCC championships, and people would look at what they're doing and say, hey, they should never leave the WCC. But I don't blame them right now because they're kicking the tires like everybody else is. And they're looking around going, what could we be worth to the Big 12? What could be we, we be worth to the Pac-12? What would we be worth to the Big East? Uh, you know, they're listening. They're open for business, and I don't blame them for it. That said, I kind of think they're going to end up back in the WCC, living the good life that they've always lived. Do you like Gonzaga as a potential uh, Pac-12 team? Is it something that you would support? And at what number? 503-417-7575, or whatever's on your mind now. Phone lines are open. I'll take your calls. You're going to help save my voice and save this radio show. Let's go to Nate, who is called in. Nate, you got line one. You're up first. What's on your mind, man? Hey, Nick. How, how are you doing, John, aside from uh, your voice? I'm doing fine. I feel fine. I just have that, that crud that everybody, you know, the kids had it last week. Anna got it. I thought I was going to be immune to it. But here I am, and it's just uh, it's come uh, it's come to roost, uh, so to speak, on today's show. But I'm good otherwise. Thanks, man. All right. Well, I, I called because uh, there seems to be a lot of think pieces today on how to fix the NBA All Star game. Okay. And it's it's really bothering me. Uh, well, not really bothering me. I, I just think it's silly. These are players that are getting paid 
20, 30, 40 million dollars a year. The All-Star Game is later in the season than it's ever been. They have it after the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is later than it has ever been. So you have players that are about five-eighths, maybe three-fourths of the way through the season about why should they play hard in the All-Star Game? Why should it be competitive? Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, I, I think it's an honor to be selected. I in I, I get your point, Nate, is, you know, people are complaining about the game. The players are complaining about the game and, and having to participate in the game. Uh, but I think for most All-Star games, there are incentives that are tied for people making the All-Star game. It's supposed to be an honor. It's supposed to be for the fans. These All-Star games are for the fans, or at least they're positioned that way. And it's an asset for the NBA to go out and sell advertising and sponsorships around All-Star Game weekend. But you're right, the players don't seem to get that or they don't seem to care. Or there's a disconnect between the league's you know, motivation to put on a great mid-season celebratory event and the players themselves viewing it as an opportunity to perpetuate their own brands. And I think the disconnect there is the big problem. And I think if the players had entered this All-Star weekend thinking about, hey, this is for the fans. I'm giving back. Uh, this is such a great honor. I'm just I'm pleased to be there. Let's give the fans a great show, uh, much in the way that maybe the uh, NBA teams used to do or Major League Baseball teams in the All-Star game do. Uh, I think the game would have had a very different feel to it. But there was a lot of, you know, sort of goofing around, and a lot of players, I think, just interested in how the event could prop up their own brand. And in the end, the event comes look, comes away looking like a selfish event that needs changes to it. Maybe the change that needs to happen is just a shift of mindset among NBA players. That opens the line. 503-417-7575 is the number. Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, go ahead. Hey, John. Thanks for being here when you're not feeling well. Um, wanted to talk about your article, but first I want to talk about the all-star game, blow the thing up. If they're going to keep doing it, if they are going to keep, sorry, if they are going to keep doing it, make it a world thing where we have an all-star team that plays against an all-star team from Europe where they take away the best 10 players there. And, and now all of a sudden you have 10 times the eyes that you do on the all-star game and you can make it for, $50 $50 million for each team or something like that because you're going to make that much more money in TV revenue, streaming revenue, things like that. But anyway, back to Gonzaga. I don't know. I don't see the the long term. Um, besides cash, I don't see the long term. I know that's everything of doing what you're talking about doing. They already get number one seeds in the conference they're at. And it's not going to be easier when they go to those major conferences. St. Mary's is tough and the other teams are you know, getting a lot better, but it's still not the competition level of the SEC or the Big 12 or even the Big 10, I don't think. And uh, they, What about they the Pac-12? The they, do, let, they do do it. I Charlie, think Mark Few Charlie, will leave. Sorry, Charlie, John. let me ask you this. What about the Pac-12 versus the WCC? Because I'm looking well, at St. Mary's and Gonzaga, and that's pretty much Arizona and UCLA in my mind. you got two top 15 programs there. But how does the day in and day out of the WCC compare in your mind to the Pac-12? I'd like to say that maybe at the bottom the Pac-12 is better, but I don't even think I believe that anymore. Cal is really bad, and Oregon State this year is really bad. There's some 
pretty bad teams in the Pac-12, I, I think the other conference is better. I really do. And I even think at top it's better. Uh, we'll see. I think St. Mary's is the best they've ever, ever been. And I think Gonzaga's pretty dang good, too. Um, yeah. UCLA's tough, but Arizona's a little soft, I think. And I think you get soft playing in this conference. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting because but... I think one of the prevailing thoughts, you know, and I believe that Gonzaga, I think Gonzaga should stay in the WCC, and I have other reasons. In part, I think, you know, Mark Few's not going to coach forever. He's 60. I think he's got a lot left in the tank. He's lost Tommy Lloyd to Arizona. And, you know, it's not like I think Gonzaga's going to fall off after Few because there are some things that are stacked in Gonzaga's favor in the WCC that might not be stacked in their favor in another conference. Consider that, like I mentioned earlier, Gonzaga gets a larger share of the postseason pie. They make the NCAA tournament. They get a larger share of that. Uh, they have all these NCAA tournament units. They're collecting millions of dollars that University of Portland, San Diego, others are not getting. And you also have just some momentum and some infrastructure in that Gonzaga brand where, yeah, they're competing against St. Mary's this year. And I actually think St. Mary's might be the better of the two teams. But they're going to play on Saturday. And you have this relationship with ESPN that ESPN just loves Gonzaga, loves the brand. And if you're Gonzaga, you're going to go to another conference, you're going to give up the advantage that you have in getting more media dollars than your peers and getting more postseason revenue than your peers within your own conference. And all of a sudden that playing field or that court is a little more level. And and I think that is a danger when you combine it with the potential departure of Mark Few eight or ten years from now when he goes off into the sunset as a 70-year-old coach, you're going to be looking at, okay, no more Mark Few, uh, no Tommy Lloyd, he's at Arizona, and, oh, by the way, you are losing the two biggest revenue advantages you have and that you enjoy in the WCC. It's a pretty cushy nest that they're in in that conference because, you know, compare them to the University of Portland. University of Portland has one NCAA tournament unit in the last 20 years. Gonzaga gets three and a half, four, five in every tournament. Those are worth $338,000 to the conference, but the conference isn't splitting that evenly. Gonzaga's getting a huge share of that, and it's why a program, I think, like the University of Portland can't really rise up on a consistent basis. It's underfunded versus Gonzaga. It doesn't get the ESPN exposure. It can't recruit that way. So I think Gonzaga's kicking the tires right now, but I don't know how serious they are about actually leaving. Up next, we'll find out. We're going to go to somebody who's in the know with Gonzaga. Andy Patton does a podcast. It's called Locked on Zags Podcast. He's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. How's my voice doing, Stephen? How am I doing, man? Come on, uh, lay it on, lay it on me straight. It's it's okay. <laughs> it's not my best, is it? I've heard worse, <laughs> but yeah, it's not great. We'll see how it holds up over three hours. Here to help with it, Andy Patton. He hosts a podcast called Locked on the Zags. He's all over Gonzaga basketball, and he's joining us. Andy, thank you for making time for us. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Let me let me just bounce this off you. There's so much noise out there right now, so much chatter involving Gonzaga. Where do you think that is stems from or, 
you know, are you surprised by the amount or the volume of chatter about Gonzaga right now? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it's one of those things where they've always known. It's, it's been a long time that they've been kind of above the WCC in terms of you know being the number one team in the conference for for many many years, outperforming the rest of the conference. But until the recent moves, you know, Texas and Oklahoma a few years ago, of course, UCLA and USC. I think that there wasn't a lot of kind of chatter around conference realignment in general. Once that happened, Gonzaga immediately got tossed out there. But as a non-football school, it is a little surprising to see their name tossed out there so much just because all of the other movement that is happening is really being driven by football and media markets. And Gonzaga obviously doesn't have a football team. Spokane's not a huge media market. So it is a little surprising to see their name out there as much as it is. But the brand is, you know, it speaks for themselves from a college basketball perspective. I don't blame them for kicking the tires. I mean, they got they should do what's in their best interest and look around. But there are some questions that come with it. Let's start with the WCC. Uh, they've got a pretty nice gig there. Now, again, they've got St. Mary's to contend with. You know that, Andy. But give us an idea of what standing they have in the conference and how that benefits Gonzaga. Yeah, well, they, they they're about four years ago, five years ago now, I guess, there was rumors that they were going to look at the, the Mountain West, and the Mountain West schools had allegedly voted unanimously to accept Gonzaga into the conference. And at that time, the WCC appeared to make some concessions, which allowed Gonzaga to make a, a bigger piece of the, the pie in terms of how much money they're getting from, from the NCAA tournament. They were getting an equal share as everybody else and felt that that wasn't entirely fair considering how much work they were doing. And so I think they have a pretty good deal with the WCC. They got a good chunk of money. Uh, the conference, in a way, kind of caters to them and their needs. But with this, with the conference about to lose BYU, uh, that's a big loss for them in terms of, a, you know, two marquee games every year in the regular season, a marquee game in the WCC tournament, a high-profile opponent. And so I think they're starting to get a little itchy, a little antsy, uh, but at the end of the day, looking at what they're getting out of the WCC, you know, as Gloria Navarra said in the recent conversation with you, she mentioned this this team can make the championship from the WCC. It's not a debate. It's not a we think they can. They've done it. They've done it twice. So there's proof that they're capable of doing that. So at the end of the day, they're going to have to find a situation that is clearly better than what they have in the WCC. And while a lot of fans think, oh, that situation is, you know, easily going to be better somewhere else, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I think uh, I'm with you there. I I think you've got to tread lightly and be prudent and do your diligence. Uh, We're talking to Andy Patton, Locked on Zags uh, podcast, uh, covers college sports and uh, the NFL, among other things. But, Andy, um, you know, let's talk for a little bit about, you know, the program. What is going on Mm -hmm. this season? Have they taken a step backwards? Is it St. Mary's? Have they surged forwards? Is this the loss of Tommy Lloyd? What are we seeing on the court this season? I think it's a little bit of all of that, quite honestly. I think the anytime you have to go into another season without Chet Holmgren, without Andrew Nemhard, two players who were instrumental to that team's success last year, it, it's hard to replace. And I think Gonzaga was hoping to have a little bit more from some of the younger players than they've gotten from them this year. I think the team was overly reliant on Drew Timmy on the offensive end of the floor early in the season, and it kind of prevented some of the development from some of those younger guys, which we're starting to see lately. Julian Strother has been on an absolute heater for the last couple of weeks, which has really helped elevate this program. But I do think losing Tommy Lloyd has hurt. You know, he had a lot to do with this team on a daily basis, and you've seen the success he's had at the University of Arizona. Uh, Certainly Randy Bennett and that program at St. Mary's have been phenomenal for many years. But 
I think this team is, has taken a step back, but I don't think that it's the beginning of a necessarily a big slide. We'll see how they continue to recruit going forward. But uh, it has been a difficult year. They've played a really challenging non-conference schedule. So some of those early season losses, you know, they, they got beat around pretty badly by Texas and Purdue. But those teams have been extremely good all season long, and they beat Alabama, the number one team in the country. So it's certainly not all it lost in Spokane, but it has been a, a tougher season than many people were expecting. Yeah, but even even in a tough season, what are we looking at? A four seed, like in a, in, mm-hmm. and that's where I kind of I say, hey, you know, the grass isn't always greener because you can have maybe right. what isn't a great year by your standards, but still kind of dominate your conference and go into the last weekend with a chance to win that 11th straight conference championship. Yeah, and I think that, that I mean that this year they lost to LMU. And I don't know, there's not a lot of other teams that when they lose to a conference opponent, a decent conference opponent in LMU, it's the first time they lost to LMU in Spokane since 1991. Like, that's how dominant this program has been in their conference. If they were to join another conference, a Power 5 conference or the Power 5 plus Big East, they're not going to have 20 years of success against an individual opponent. I mean, there's just no way that that's going to happen. A down year in a power conference, doesn't necessarily mean they don't make the tournament, but do they get a four seed? Probably not. And that's something that they're going to have to weigh that Mark Few and the athletic department there are going to have to seriously consider whether that uh, is, is worth the risk. We're talking to Andy Patton. Uh, he covers Gonzaga basketball. He knows it inside and out. Uh, part of my hesitation for Gonzaga leaving the WCC is, hey, it's been great there. Another part is Mark Few and what happens after Mark Few. Are people talking about what happens to Gonzaga after Few leaves the program eight or ten years from now? Yeah, they are. And I think that, you know, Jay Wright's retirement kind of seemingly suddenly, at least for on the national scale, was, was one that surprised people a little bit. And we've seen some more coaches who are moving on. And, and the, the obviously college basketball has changed so dramatically just in the last few years with the transfer portal and NIL and, and various other things that – we're starting to see some of the older coaches maybe move on a little bit sooner than people expected. So it's absolutely a conversation around Gonzaga. And, you know, to go back to the Tommy Lloyd conversation, that was a really nice buffer that Gonzaga fans felt of like, well, hey, if Mark Few does move on, we feel really confident in Tommy Lloyd. That's not there anymore. Tommy's not leaving Arizona to come back to Gonzaga. I don't think that that's going to happen. That would be very shocking if that were to happen. Uh, so there's a there's not a succession plan, and that is – Scary. I don't think that Gonzaga is just going to, you know, revert back to being a completely non-factor in the college basketball landscape when Mark Few is gone. But it's fair for that fear to at least be in the back of people's heads, and certainly the back of the heads of, of you know, Big Twelve, Pac-12, Big East, and the people in, in those conferences who are making these decisions. You know, I'm I'm looking at the Pac-12 conference, and I'm thinking, if Gonzaga does leave the WCC, it just makes too much sense. But I'm being told, Andy, that Gonzaga doesn't want to come as a basketball-only athletic department. They don't want to leave everything else behind. How do you think they fit in the Pac-12, Big 12, Big East, some of the scenarios you've seen and heard about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting element of it because I think a lot of people are just assuming that it would be a basketball-only move and that the WCC would just continue to house the rest of Gonzaga's sports. And I don't know why the WCC would do that. <laughs> like, I don't see a compelling reason for them to say, yeah, we'll keep baseball and soccer and tennis and let you take away the, the biggest moneymaker for our conference. Like, it just doesn't really make sense. So it creates this situation where 
the rest of Gonzaga's sports, certainly if we're talking about the Big East or the Big 12, would then all of a sudden have to be traveling to, you know, Morgantown, West Virginia, for example, or if they're in the Big East, they're going to D.C., stuff like that. And that's really challenging. The Pac-12, you don't have that as much. Your travel basically is the same, quite honestly. You're going to Oregon a few times. You're going to California a few times. You know, it's, it's not that different. So that's an element that I do think isn't getting talked about enough. But I wonder if those big conferences like Gonzaga's baseball team is good, and I think they can compete in some of those power conferences. They're not going to be the top of the conference like they are on the WCC, but I think they'll be fine. As for some of the other Olympic sports, probably not going to be as competitive, but you know, at the end of the day, from a money-making perspective, from the perspective of the Pac-12, who who would be acquiring Gonzaga for the basketball team, the rest of that stuff, I'm not sure how much that that really moves the needle for the conference or, frankly, for Gonzaga. I think it's a pretty interesting story. Do you get a sense on the timeline for Gonzaga, if they are going to make a move or not make a move? What, where's their window? I think, it's, I, I think people think it's going to be sooner than it actually is. I don't think that this is happening as quickly as maybe the perception is. And certainly, you know, some of these moves have happened quickly. The USC-UCLA thing took a lot of people by surprise. And and I think that there's this sense that any day now or any, you know, in the next couple of weeks or even this summer that Gonzaga is all of a sudden going to make an announcement that they're jumping to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the Big East or whatever. And I think that really it's we're in a preliminary stage where Gonzaga is heavily weighing their options. And at this point, we haven't really heard figures and the financial aspect of this is fascinating because these conferences, you know, with the exception of the Big East, the, the other conferences haven't really accepted a, a non-football member. So what does that look like in terms of their piece of the pie? How much money are they making? Is it actually going to be more than the WCC? Like all of that stuff without having any answers to that or any kind of knowledge of what that's going to look like, it feels to me like we're still a fair ways away from any kind of actual announcement or even really any kind of decision uh, from Gonzaga's athletic department. Gonzaga will host ESPN's College Game Day on Saturday in front of their big matchup later that night in Spokane against St. Mary's. What does that do for the program, for the community? You know, in college football, that is a big deal. Yeah, it puts the it puts the eyes of the college basketball world on Spokane in a way that I think is necessary for people to really get a sense of what you know what the experience, game day experience is like at Gonzaga because it's unlike anything else. I've been to Pac-12 games, I've been to other uh, you know universities, and it's kind of shocking sometimes, even if they're big games, how different the atmosphere is in Spokane. And obviously, it's a much smaller arena, and that is a whole element of this conversation as well, but. I think getting that kind of attention, Gonzaga's on ESPN a lot. They're on CBS a lot. Like, they get a lot of nationally televised games because of that deal that they have with ESPN. But having game day there is a whole different thing, and I think it's really going to accentuate what college basketball at its peak can really look like. Even if neither of these teams are top ten teams in the country right now, this kind of matchup between two really elite programs, two elite coaches, two teams that play a completely different style of basketball – that, to me, is what college basketball is about, and I think game day is going to really showcase what makes Gonzaga basketball so special. The you know the elusive national championship, Mark Few came on this show. He said that's his goal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If he gets one sooner rather than later, do you start wondering, does he pull that Jay Wright? Does he do what Chris Peterson did at Washington and go, hey, I've done everything I can do here. Uh, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Or is this a guy that you think needs coaching doesn't do anything else, lives it, breathes it, will do it until somebody tells him to go home. 
I think Mark Few is almost just as passionate about fly fishing as he is about college <laughs> basketball, and that's not to knock his passion for his team. It's to really accentuate how much he loves fly fishing and why he has stayed in Spokane for so long. I think for Mark Few, there's two two things he really wants to accomplish. Obviously, winning a national championship is number one on his list. It's been number one on his list since he took the job in 2000, and it's still number one on his list despite the incredible other accolades that he has accomplished. I also think that bringing this program to another conference may be something that he's, you know, invested in, being able to show, like, I single-handedly led this program to national prominence and into a different conference. Like, I don't know how much of a, you know, how high that is on his priority list necessarily, but to me, being able to say you did that, you took this team to a national championship and you took them into, you know, the Big 12, the Big East, the Pac-12, whatever it may be, I think that would be the feather in his cap, and I do think that if that were to happen, I don't think he's going to be coaching for a whole lot longer after that. I think he's going to retire and enjoy his life after that. I really do think that he's sticking around right now primarily to get both of those things done, but at the very least get that national championship out of the way. Andy Patton, Locked on Zags podcast. Andy, I appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. There he is. Uh, Perspective from uh, the Spokane viewpoint. Coming up uh, later this hour, we'll have our big splash we're going to talk as well about what San Diego State has done to position itself. And I have a question about robots. That's right, robots in your household. We'll talk about it coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Turns out that uh, I saw a story, tech story. Turns out that robots will one day perform 39% of domestic chores. They're at the year 2033 was used. So we're talking a decade from now. Robots will perform 39% of your chores in your home. Uh, is there something in your day that you would like a robot to do that you would not miss doing? Also, does any of this scare you? I'm seeing over and over all this chat GPT. I'm scared of AI. Everybody worried about it. I feel like Steven Spielberg needs to make a movie uh, about it. But um, first of all, Steven, Peter, 39% of domestic chores performed by a robot by the year 2033. What's the robot doing for you? Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad to me, honestly. Um, I think for me, it would just be like the everyday easy things, you know, emptying the dishwasher, uh, <laughs> taking out the garbage, just like little stuff like that. If I had a little baby, like changing the diaper of like a baby kid, I think that would be great. Mm. I wouldn't have missed that. But now that my kids are older, they don't have that. So I don't have that problem. But I think just like the little things around the house, like I just don't want to do but like, hey, robot, go do this. Thanks. I don't. Yeah, but does it scare you at all? Like the AI, Chat GPT, all that. Sorry, Peter, I interrupted you. You're good. You. No, no, no. It doesn't. It doesn't scare me at all. Like I just, I, I have this thought. Like if it happens, you know what? I, what am I gonna do about it? Like if robots really, ta- like if robots really take, <laughs> they take over, over. The world, yeah, if they take yeah. over the world, like what, what am I gonna do as an individual person to stop that? Nothing. So like, you know, just, just embrace it. And you know what? If they do take over, and I've just embraced the robots, hopefully, you know, they make me go quick, and uh, it's over. Like quick. Like I don't. I, 
I have no reason to be scared You're of You're a stoic, man. Yeah. You're a stoic. Yeah, why I, worry about it? Yeah, why worry about it? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I can tell you already. I can grab uh, just recordings of you guys, and I have access to tech. I can make you guys, quote unquote, say anything, and it's indistinguishable from your actual voices. That's already at the consumer level. I have it. And it is frightening. But if, it were, if we're talking about uh, robots doing chores, I mean, to define robot because to a degree, you know, washer, dryer, washing machine, or, uh, dishwasher, the, uh, you know, the litter genie for the cat box. But uh, I think the big one I want is uh, we already have the robot vacuum. You know, we mm. have the Roomba. Yeah. But I want something that's actually going to mop. Can we get some sort of hot, wet pad stuck to the bottom of the Roomba? And can it do a good job? Because that's the thing. If you have a Roomba, John, or Stevie, you yep. know that thing is supposed to be smart, but it's going to get stuck in the same place. It's going to yep. find the vent in the floor and just wander over it for five minutes. I need that thing smarter. No, that's, a that's a great point. That's a great point. Because the good. Roomba, yeah. we have to set the house up for the Roomba. Like, we have to block mm. off, like, certain areas yeah. of the house. So it doesn't it's get, asinine. Yeah, so it doesn't get like, stuck under a table or under a chair or something. Like, we have to it's be stupid. like, hey, full, yeah, it's, it's a stupid robot. Yeah, it's full Roomba mode. Like, you have to prep the house for it. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make sense sense at all but i want to know what robots are doing in your household 503-417-7575 i would do this i don't like folding laundry i don't like doing laundry and uh so i would have the robot constantly doing laundry so nobody ever had to touch a stitch of laundry again i anna actually likes and i won't speak for her i'll let her speak she comes in like after dinner because she's She's kind of dealing with the kids after school, like in this window. Kids are home from school. She's kind of dealing with that. She pops in for a bit, then she pops back out, and uh, you know she's get doing all the bath time and all that stuff and dinner. But I after dinner, Anna goes to do dishes, and I say, "Let me do the dishes," because I think I'm helping, and she goes, "Nope, you handle the kids," <laughs> because she's had those monsters all day long and so uh i get like dad time with the kids and i'm happy about it and she's happy to have the dishes and nobody talking to her so i don't think she would have the robot do the dishes but i i would have the robot doing laundry all day that's a good one because i will have you know there's just times where it's like i just feel like i use all my clothes i don't even realize it and then it's you know day of i'm heading to work i'm like oh, i got nothing to wear like i got no clean clothes because you know, I'm doing the kids' laundry, I'm just taking yep. care of everybody. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's the good one. That's a good one. Just a, just a laundry, reminder. yard work. How about yard work? Would yeah. you have the robot out there doing mowing the lawn, doing yeah, whatever? Definitely. I am uh, not a yard guy, and I did do uh, maintenance at a uh, nice country club here in Oregon. Uh, and I don't know how they hired me because I'm a terrible yard work person. <laughs> well, they didn't get your own reference. Uh, but I also think, like in sports, we're seeing some of this. And they're obviously using a lot of data and analytics in sports, tracking players, tracking velocity, tracking speed. We know more about exit velocity and the speed of a receiver running with the football than we've ever known before. I don't think we're that far away from the chain gang being robots and the ball having GPS in it and having a robot announce when it's a first down. Like, I, I don't think, I think we're going to see a lot of this in sports. We do already. Robot umpires, they've talked about it in the implementation of the balls and strikes being called by robots. Mark's in Portland. Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Um, so I want a robot right now that will drive me home. Then I'll have to drive in all this mess. But anyway, um, yes, I have one of those we call her Rosie. She's one of our robots that uh, does all the uh, 
cleaning of the floors, and yes, you somebody made the also made the comment that they get stuck. Yeah, she gets stuck all the time. But I would love to have a Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons that did all of the chores. That would be fun. Love that. Hey, by the way, would you trust a robot to drive you? Well, yeah, sure. You didn't. Johnny, well, who was his name? Johnny Robot or Johnny Cab? I don't did know. you not trust Johnny Cab? I I don't <laughs> I don't know because I often think about you know where they're going with self-driving cars. I might be the last person to get a self-driving car. I might be the last guy who believes in that because, you know, we've seen a couple of horror stories when it comes to that stuff. But I want you to leave it. Hey, go okay, ahead. Real quick, but haven't you seen horror stories about people driving, though? Like, you see people getting car wrecks all the time. So, like, why does one car wreck of, like, a robot car or a self-driving car scare you? Shouldn't re regular drivers should scare you. Yeah, regular drivers. But I... I I, I understand there's a person there. I don't like not, you know, I don't like not seeing the driver in control of the car. I don't want that car to be in control of itself. I don't trust it. I don't know. Very fair. Maybe I need a larger sample size. But I also want the umpire to call balls and strikes, so maybe I'm old-fashioned. I don't know. Our big splash is coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up top of the hour, Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. The Ducks will host Arizona tomorrow at Matthew Knight Arena. Oregon, one of seven teams in the Pac-12 conference uh, that are in the top 30 of the net uh, rankings. How about we have robots pick the playoff teams? Would you go for that? CFP uh, committee not done by robots. Didn't we have that with the BCS or not? <laughs> Didn't work out. No. It's a bad robot so to speak. One bad robot. Are, Peter, are you not afraid of what AI and robots are going to be, or are you one of those people that's going, hey, this is the end of, of, human, uh, of the human race? Uh, I am pretty terrified, but there's nothing I can do about it. It's coming, and it's going to be a revolution, sort of like the, uh, you know, the, how the internet changed everything in the, I guess you'd say the mid-90s. I guess that ball really got rolling in the early 90s, but like, who knows what's actually going to happen? It still depends on the people, right? Like the capabilities are sort of endless, but what are we going to do with it? And I think it's going to sort of affect uh, everything we do. But the scary part is it's in ways that we don't know. It's just fear of the unknown. And I think, too, like and we might be talking about like one and the same thing because we're kind of talking about robots doing all these things by 2030 or whatever, 2034. But really, are we talking about menial tasks that, like, a AI, um, you know, system could could take care of for us? Like, you know, a lot of different things. And I know, like, here, I'll give you an example. Like, there are some programs right now that try to be sports writers. And what I mean by that is the, the actual, it's not AI, but the program itself can take a box score on a basketball game and create a game story using the entered names, the stats, whatnot. It doesn't flow. It doesn't give you an opinion. It doesn't really give you analysis. But they could fake you into thinking this is a like you know an AP style, Associated Press style game story written off a college basketball game 
because the box score contains certain elements, number of field goal attempts, number of three-point shots, free throws, and you can craft a game story just by plugging in, in you know, certain stats into certain paragraphs. So that's already out there. I've seen it, and a lot of times it'll be a story that's generated. I can tell when I read one. I'm like, this is just terrible. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, at all fool you into thinking an actual person wrote it. And that, I think, is the bad part about AI and all that stuff because at some point, like, we do need some personal touch to it, especially for sports. Like, I, you know, I'm a big analytics guy. I'm a big stats guy. But it's also a fine line where you can't just take it 100% fact, 100% true. Like, you have to have some type of personal touch to it. So, I, yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's the more scary part is that, like, they're generating stories and things like that. Like, that's the one that would scare me more than just, like, robots running around doing tasks for me or driving me around. I, I'm not worried about that. It's when they're making things up. That's when they got their own brain. That's and, what I'm worried and about. You, and you can tell that those are not written by humans for now. But if you think about what, you know, the early attempts at this just, say, eight, nine, ten years ago were compared to now, where it's oh, yeah. going to be in the next decade, it's going to be completely indis- indistinguishable. And, that, and that's a little scary. Like, at what it, point is there going to be radio hosts that are robots? I'm telling How you, you know I'm, I'm not a robot. You. Yeah, How do you know? I'll bring in, give, know. give me a week, John. I'll bring in audio of you saying anything I want it to say, and it's not actually you. I'm telling you, we can do this now. Yeah, it's scary. That's scary to me because look at what we went through in the last 12 yeah. years in kind of the news cycle where people are, you know, oh, here's an audio recording of somebody saying this. Here's, you know, you know there's all this gotcha stuff that's going on. If you can do that, it won't be long until, you know, they probably could do it already with match video to it. And then suddenly, you know, how do we know anybody did anything? How do we know it's for real? Well, and that's the major problem is it makes misinformation so much more rampant. But also actual bad behavior can just be hand waved away. Oh, that's fake. That's not real. That's that's an AI created that. And then at that point, I mean, society cannot function if you cannot tell what is real and what is not. That's why it's good that you're sick today, John, so we know you're real. You're not a robot. <laughs> Robots can't get sick. People can. Yeah, see? But what if the robots get so good that they go every every, every once in a while, a couple times a year, it's got to have a scratchy voice. <laughs> they got to fake it, yeah. You know, hey, Kanzano didn't have his A game today. We got to have that's built into the algorithm, like, you know, to account for that. So um, there's that as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to do our big splash here. But before I get to the splash, can I can I bring in one thing that wasn't the big splash? Uh, the Baltimore Ravens have hired Willie Taggart to be the running backs coach. I feel like Willie, Willie Taggart has been hired in like five different jobs in this offseason. I saw him go to Colorado. Then he was on Deion Sanders' staff. Then he was an analyst. He was a coordinator. No, he's not. Then he goes somewhere else. And is Mario Cristobal hiring him? No, he's not. And now he's in the NFL with the Ravens. It's weird. What do you make of Willie Taggart bouncing around? I mean, on one hand... It's nice for him because he's wanted, right? Like, I feel like he's still a name and he's still wanted, you know, because I thought for sure he was going to Colorado. Like, that was the report earlier this summer. Um, I, I think if you're Willie Taggart, you have to take that as a positive. Like, people want you everywhere you go. And now, you know, he's kind of fallen up into the NFL world where he, you know, is his first NFL job. And I don't know if that was always the, the plan was to be in an NFL, uh, you know, probably not running backs coach, but to be a coach in the NFL. And you never know after that. So I think for I think it's a good career. Like it's one of those careers where he wasn't as successful as people wanted him to be, but at the same time, he's been successful enough to get numerous jobs in numerous areas of the nation and now in different leagues. Like I think I think it's a good career for him. 
There you go. That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the big splash. Well, Alabama freshman Brandon Miller, he's going to play tonight when they play against South Carolina. The school announced it. Uh, despite Tuscaloosa police testifying yesterday that the star forward brought now former teammate the handgun used to kill a woman in January. University of Alabama is cooperating with law enforcement, but I think they're getting this one all wrong. The Tuscaloosa Police Department has testified that Miller brought Darius Miles' gun to him on the night of the shooting death of 23-year-old Jamea Harris after Miles asked him to do so via text message. Miller's not charged with a crime. Uh, the uh, detective and the uh, district attorney both telling uh, Alabama newspapers that there's nothing they could charge him with, but uh, certainly problematic. And if I'm Alabama, I'm embarrassed by this. I would err on the side of caution. I would have shut him down. I would have suspended him pending the outcome of this investigation. It's a bad, bad look for Alabama. I think they're getting it all wrong. Let's go to the phone lines. Tom's in Portland. Tom, you want to talk robots? Go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, you know, um, they they are starting to build more of those uh, smart houses where all you have to do is just, you know, say, you know, turn on the light, you know, start the dishwasher. I mean, just, you know, by saying it. And so essentially, you know, just have the whole house be one bigger robot. Or if not that, uh, you could get something like uh, that was in – 2001 that computer how how 9000 he he ran that whole ship yeah and, and look uh i think we're probably not that far away but there's some things i want to do for myself i don't mind taking the trash cans out to the curb i don't even mind on a cold tuesday night when the wind is blowing Sometimes it's the freshest air I get to get out of the house, go take the trash cans out. I look around the quiet neighborhood, and I think to myself, you know what? It's not so bad to be out here in the cold. I don't know if I need the house to be that smart. Smart television, smart dishwasher. The only thing that's not smart is me. Leave it here. Kelly Graves coming up, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I read that story today. Robots will do 39% of your daily household chores by 2039. 39%. What do you need the robot to do for you? I'm having to do laundry. I don't like folding laundry. Go, you know, I don't, it's not my thing. Okay? That robot would be in the laundry room just working 15 hours a day, folding laundry. That's what I would have it do. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach, is with us. All right, if a robot's doing a chore at your household, what do you never want to do again? Uh, I, I actually, unlike you, I actually like to do my laundry. I think it's a little bit therapeutic, um, and have always done my own. Uh, I think that's yes. why Mary and I have been married 28 years, you know? 
<laughs> I she hasn't it. had to do that. Uh, yeah. If I had a robot, I think I'd, you know, maybe a foot rub every night yeah. or, um, you know, some kind of a back rub, something like that, you know, yeah. the neck, the shoulders. Yep. You're yeah, sitting I, over. I'm good. I, I, I like the life I got. I, I don't think I need anybody enhancing it like that. Are you scared with technology, AI? Because, you know, we're seeing it bleed into sports, too, and I wonder someday if the analytics and the data just becomes too much and we, we stop relying on instinct and gut as much as maybe we used to. Yes, uh, I am a little bit afraid of it. I, I value it in, in some ways, but I'm lost. Uh, if I was re a retired basketball coach right now, I would be completely lost because my assistant coaches – do everything when it comes to anything technological and I rely on them therefore I've become I think dumber you know because of that uh, you know they're happy to do it and they do it well so uh, yeah yeah I am looking forward to the driving thing you know have an automatic driver and automatic cars I, I can't wait for that because I think it'll help traffic It'll obviously help our mindset. We can just sit back and relax and do whatever work we got to do, stay on the phone, catch up, social media, whatever. That I'm looking forward to. That needs to come quicker. Yeah, and I, I'm with you on that front. I'm also kind of thinking about the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. Can we have a robot or AI pick the field, or do you want a person doing that? Are you going strictly by the net rankings, or do you want a human being involved in this? Well, it depends on whether we get in or not. So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, the, the crazy thing is on all these selections is every person in that on the committee has a different measurement. You know, some uh, that that that's where it's inexact. You know, you look at I, I think you posted or retweeted or something our uh, our net. I mean, we're fourteen and thirteen, but our net is still twenty five. It's crazy. Um, uh -huh. You know, some people will value that more. Others will say quality wins. Others will say, how did they finish the season? You know, there's just a whole bunch of different measurements. Uh, and I guess AI would make it, you know, uh, at least all the same. So I you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's one. Is this what you were calling me for today? No, 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 no. no. I, I, it was just on our minds. It's what... opine on this kind of stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is next level, man. <laughs> Let me ask you this, I, I, then. I, you know, the joke that always kills, you know, when you, especially with the older, you know, alums and things like that, it's like, I'm a coach. I know X's and O's. It's the other letters I struggle with. <laughs> so, you know, don't, don't right. go too high level. JT. All right. Let, let's just talk about the Pac-12 standings. You okay. mentioned the record, but, you know, seven teams in the Pac-12 in the top 30 in the net rankings, does that get you 17 all seven teams in the ncaa tournament field feels like it should yeah i think uh, i think we could get as many as eight uh you know i think we would be that eighth team uh you know i know i don't think we have anything guaranteed yet but yeah it just goes to show you playing good teams should matter and it does matter and then playing well you know i think you look at our efficiency, our overall efficiency, offense and defense, and we're still a top 30 team in that. So, you know, the, we're not getting those wins, but we're playing good basketball, and we've been in literally every game. 
you know, we play Arizona tomorrow. When we played at Arizona, it was a tie game with two minutes and 20 seconds to go. Last week, UCLA, tie, tie game with two minutes and 50 seconds to go. And we've had a couple of games that went literally to the, to the final shot. And none of them have ended up in our favor. And so, you know, just a little luck or a little different circumstance here and there and, and things, you know, can completely change. That's how close it is. So, I, I, you know, that's why I think we have such a good net rating. Yeah, and I, you know, look, I'm looking across this conference. It's a, it's a tough league year in and year out. But what is happening right now at maybe at the top of this league as you look at Stanford and, and you know, some of the, you know, the top four teams – still unsettled i mean arizona's trying to grab that fourth yeah. seed and you're standing in the way tomorrow night uh yeah yeah no they're we're going to get their absolute best tomorrow just like you say yeah there's uh you know the the log jam between that fourth fifth and sixth spot i mean and that means a lot you know the four seed gets a bye in the first round you know the five seeds got to play four games in four days so it makes it a lot more difficult um so, yeah, I, I think that the league, and, and I'm, I've been here now in the conference at its absolute peak. You know, it's never been better in the last six or eight years. We've been by far the best in the, in the country, best conference. I think it's better now than it's ever been. Not at the top. There's no dominant team. Like when we won three straight championships not too long ago, we were really good. And we weren't going to lose most nights. Uh, I don't care how good you played. I don't think there's that super team. So I, I'm not sure it's quite as good on top, but the middle and the bottom is for real. That's where the real significant change has happened, I think. Give us an idea of what's happening with your program. I think some people are surprised to see you at 5-11, and 11, and then you look at the net ranking and you go, hey, this is a top 25 team in the latest rankings. Well, I'm surprised too. I mean, I, I and and if I knew the answer, I would have yeah. figured it out by now. It's something different. I, I feel like the little Dutch boy who you know is trying to plug the the dam, right? You know, you put your finger in one area, and then here comes another leak over here, and then you you know stop that, and here pops another one. It's kind of been something different each game. Uh, we just haven't found the consistency at both ends of the floor on the same night. I mean, on one weekend. This is us in a nutshell. You know, Friday night against Colorado, we go 0 of 16 from the three-point line. We're the leading three-point shooting team in the conference, 0 for 16, and struggle to score 50-something. Two nights later against Utah, we lose 100 to 92. Um, you know, so we defended well Friday, couldn't shoot it. Saturday, we couldn't defend you. And, but we put up 92 and, and lose. So it's just kind of been that way the whole time, and I'm not exactly sure what that is. This is new territory for me. Uh, you know, as a coach, I'm trying to figure things out. And uh, the support that I'm getting from my colleagues, former players, uh, you know, it has been tremendous. Even after some huge wins or great tournament runs, I've actually gotten more texts from former players saying, Coach, keep your head up, you're doing fine, you're doing the right thing, blah, 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 now than I do after maybe an Elite Eight run or something. It's crazy. Well, they, I think they're trying to give back, and they see, like, hey, it's easy. You're going to get a lot of encouragement when you're 21 and 6, right? And it's when you're 14 and 13 that you probably need to hear stay the course and hear all those messages. It's the kind of stuff you do as a coach, right? I mean, that's they're coaching the coach. 
Yes, and I and it means a lot to me. I mean, it does. It truly means a lot to me, and I and I know people care, and they're invested in in the program. They're invested in me, uh, and which you know to me means I I've done a good job. You know, and uh, uh, you just got to keep plugging. That's the nature of sports. I, somebody asked me the other day about the the you know the, the what's happening this year, and I said. Are you a golfer? And he goes, well, yeah, of course. I said, and we've all been like that. We go out, we play a great round, and we think, you know what? I figured this out. I got this now. <laughs> yeah. And then the next round, it kicks your butt. So, you know, we, we've had everything in place. We've had such a great last six or eight years. It's It's been a phenomenal run here. And just when you, you know, we've recruited well, we've got the culture set. Just when you think you've got it figured out, something like this happens. And then you, you scramble, you know, you continue to grind, you do the, what you can, uh, but, you know, you're trying to find a new way to get it done. Coach Kelly Graves is with us, Oregon women's basketball coach. Um, you know, you get this Arizona, these two Arizona teams at home, then it's conference tournament. Obviously you want to win these games. You want to go into the conference tournament playing well. How are you feeling about the Thursday-Saturday matchup with Arizona-Arizona State? I feel great. I felt great last week, John. <laughs> Every game I go into, I go, this is going to be the one that we put it together. Um, I, I haven't lost faith at all, and I hope my team hasn't lost that belief. Um, I, I do feel like, you know, if we go out and play well. Now, obviously, we're down Grace Van Sloot, you know, and she's one of the best players in the conference, our, our all-freshmen, uh, you know, um, forward. So that hurts. But, um, you know, I still think we have enough to, to get it done, and, and that's what we're, uh, you know, going to work our tails off to, to try and accomplish on Thursday. Saturday, of course, senior night. Uh, Arizona State, you know, they've had their struggles this year. You can't take anything for granted, but hopefully, you know, we can win two this weekend and, and move, like you said, move into that conference tournament. I still think, you know, three wins might get us in. Uh, to the field, and then we're going to be that low seed that nobody wants to play uh, because, you know, we have shown that we can play good basketball. And, and you know, and I think I, I may hold the NCAA record for most wins uh, as a double-digit seed. I think I've won eight or yeah. nine games as a coach. I shouldn't say I. I didn't score any of the points, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So if we can just get into the field, I think, uh, you know, we've shown – that we can navigate that and get our kids fired up and actually win games in the NCAA tournament as a low seed. You, you mentioned the injury to Van Sluten, and it's an ankle injury as I understand it. She's a, she's a no-go, you said, for this week's game. Is there a shot you could get her back in Vegas during the conference tournament? Oh, we sure hope so, but you, you know with injuries, you just never know. Um, you know, uh, Patrick McHolmes, what he did was, you know, incredible. Uh, and, you know, we might need that same kind of an effort. Uh, but I, I stay out of the training room, John. I always have. Um, when the doctors and trainers say, hey, I think she's good to go, then then I'll play her. But I, I, I try to not to ever put any undue pressure on a, a young student athlete to, to play. It's not that important. Their health is much more important. What'd you think of the NBA All-Star game? And you know what? You want yeah. to hear my other theory on yeah. that, big guy? Yeah. Go ahead. I don't think I don't think in the short term. This has been my experience over the years. In the short term, I don't think injuries hurt you. Hmm. 
I think it's human nature for teammates and other other players to say, you know what, I'm going to do a little bit more tonight because it's needed. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I, you know, could to tell you uh, hundreds of stories of when that happened, you know, and then somebody stepped up and had a, had a career night because they were needed. Over the long haul, injuries do hurt you, of course, because you're without the services of a great player. So hopefully – you know, somebody on our team or some buddies will will step up and just have a you know an extraordinary game. Well, that's the thing. I think you know an injury is an opportunity for somebody, right? It's it's unfortunate sure. you want to be at full strength, but there's somebody on that bench who's going, "Hey, I'm going to get some minutes. I'm going to get some opportunities I didn't have." And you know, you hope that the kid has done the work and you've done the work to prepare uh, the player, but you know. Do you, is it one of those things where you just don't know when you get in a situation with a team that doesn't have a bunch of veteran players and a bunch of experience coming back, or or is it you know is it a little different? Yeah, well, you just don't know. I mean, you, you don't know, and plus we're dealing with eighteen to twenty-one year olds too. You know, it's uh, <laughs> maybe a little different than if they were professionals. But uh, I, I really do believe in my team. I really like this group, and I know you and I have talked about it. You know, throughout the year, this yeah. has been one of my favorite groups to work with. We just don't have a, a big margin for error because we really, you know, we only have nine players right now, and and now we only have eight. So everybody kind of has to be on. You can't afford three or four kids having off nights and, and keep searching until you find a couple that are, are playing well. You know, we gotta all be, we got to be on all the time, and that's difficult to do. Let me ask you before uh, I let you go here. Um, yeah. we're, we're bringing the two younger daughters to Vegas. Some of my friends are going, you're bringing your kids to Vegas? But I'm bringing them because I want them to see – women's college basketball i want them to see the tournament i want them to see your team play yeah um am i a good good dad for doing that make me feel better about this oh of course you're a good dad yeah now if you took them to some other places that you know people <laughs> frequent in vegas then i would say you're in trouble i'm calling you know services the state services but no i think it's great absolutely what a, this, this is um you know mandalay bay is a great venue first of all. And um, I, I think, you know, you're looking at 12 teams with just strong and powerful women and not just on the court. You know, you know what I'm as proud of as anything? We've obviously had great teams, a lot of success here. I'm, I, I look at some of our players You look and how they've impacted and changed the world. Start with Sedona Prince yeah. and what she's done. Start, you know, and then go to Satu Sabli. Satu Sabli is one of the most recognizable female athletes in the world, okay, and especially in Europe. I mean, you go to Berlin, you know, Nike's putting up courts in her name, you know, basketball courts. And she's got that big Joey Harrington-like banner that's hanging from the building. Uh, you know, she is a visible person. I tell everybody she's going to one day be the chancellor of Germany. That's how smart she is and impressive. And then you look at Sabrina. Sabrina has changed the game and how it's viewed by, uh, you know, men, um, you know, fans of men's basketball, and how she's really made it mainstream, probably more than any other collegiate player. So I'm proud of that. Those were Oregon Ducks, man. And, um, you know, and I could have, of course, named many others, but those are just three that, uh, you know, that pop out real fast. So absolutely, you're doing a great job, and hopefully we're there. Well, yeah, I want you to uh, stick around. Days. Yeah, here's yeah, what I'm going to say. You don't want the Beavers and the Ducks to be one-and-dones. Yeah. You, you, you need, need to, to s- hang around for the weekend. 
hang around for the weekend or I'm going to take the six-year-old into the sports book and teach her how to bet on the ponies. How about that as a threat? <laughs> it's on you now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can I tell you, you know, WCC, I, I was one of the ones when I first got into the Pac-12 that championed the move to Vegas. I just thought it was yeah. a winner. We need to do it. And, and it has proven to be. One of my great memories as a dad slash coach was when we were in Vegas, it was my Gonzaga days. And I, by the way, I heard your segment talking to, uh, uh, is it Andy pool? Yeah. Andy. Yeah. Patton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember my son won a state championship at Gonzaga prep high school, uh, when he was okay. just a sophomore and we were in the Mandalay Bay sports book. It was pretty slow night. It was Saturday night that, you know, about nine o'clock is when they do the state tournament live. We went down with a bunch of Zag fans, and we asked them to put that game. It was on Root Sports on TV on the big screen. We had a great time watching, uh, you know, Gonzaga Prep and my son win a state championship right there at the Mandalay Sportsbook with about, I don't know, 40 or 50 other Zag fans. Pretty cool. Love that. Good memories. Good memories. All right, go get it done Thursday night, tomorrow night at Matthew Knight Arena, Oregon hosting Arizona, Saturday at noon against Arizona State. Get your tickets. Go support the team. Kelly Graves, thank you. John, my pleasure. And, hey, when the season's over, how about you ever do, like, a guest co-host? Yeah. Let's I'll do go it. Up to Portland, spend the yes. day. Let me, let me, you know. Yes, three hours. You and me talking about well, I don't robots know if I can do and three. I'm not smart <laughs> enough to do three. I, <laughs> if you got an hour, maybe I can go in there and help you. We'll have. have we'll do it for sure. It's it's a date. I'm you're, putting it on the good. calendar. All right. You're Thank you, man, Coach. John. Thank See you, buddy. Appreciate Bye. you, Kelly Graves. There he goes. University of Oregon women's basketball coach. He doesn't run a robot. He doesn't want a robot to, to help him with his laundry. I do. That's the difference between him and me right now. Leave it here. Anna's popped into the studio. She's next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. Uh... Appreciate her swinging by, Anna. While we're uh, while we're at this, we've been talking about robots. Uh, a story I read today indicates that robots will be doing thirty-nine uh, percent of your domestic chores. Not yours. Yes. Not yours. Uh, but thirty-nine percent of domestic chores will be handled by robots by the year twenty thirty-three. I'm all for it. Bring it. Let's make it yesterday. <laughs> But don't you enjoy? No. <laughs> don't you? Like, I like doing yard work. Okay. okay. I don't need a robot okay. to, like, cut the grass. Yeah. You can feel human all you want out <laughs> in that yard. But don't you? Isn't there some part I was telling people, you know, earlier that, you know, you're with the kids after school. You're with the kids at dinner time. You know, I finished the radio show. Dinner's over. You will often say, I want to do the dishes. You like to do the dishes. You like the therapy of sudsing up the dishes at, instead of dealing with... It's not really that. you brushed your teeth. It's <laughs> really just sort of the mental break from the kids. I could be doing anything at that point. When I was, uh, when I was like 12 or 13, yes. thought about this this morning. 
my dad used to tell me, we'd watch a college football game or an NFL game together in the living room, and my dad used to turn to me, and he would say, okay, it might be the second quarter. There's about eight minutes to go till halftime. Okay. And he would say, no more talking until halftime. <laughs> because I was chattering with him between every play. Shocking. I was chattering with what? him. <laughs> what? Little him, Johnny Ball game was a chatterbox? Telling him what I thought of each play, what I thought the next play was going to be, <laughs> why is Earl Campbell's jersey keep ripping off, you know, stuff, important stuff yeah. that 12, 13-year-old me wanted to know. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I did with the 8-year-old this morning. <laughs> I know. That's we what... had a two-hour delayed start to school, so that meant that uh, there was a snow gear involved, snow play, lots of questions, lots of chatter. I'm like, I haven't even had my coffee yet. I need you to take a five-minute mouth break. I love you. You called it a mouth break? I called it a mouth break. <laughs> I love you so much. You have an amazing brain. I need you to just be silent that's, right now for five minutes that's so the I don't lose my mind. The yeah. eight-year-old did that? Yeah. 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 That's how I was. Well, Steven, do you do that with your kids? Do you tell your kid to take a mouth break during the Blazer game? Yeah, I don't call it a mouth break, but yeah, I just say there's no no more talking for a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? What's your kid doing? Just asking questions. Just, you know, every single question like, oh, who is this player? What's he? What does he do? What do is you he love me, at? Dad? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it's just a random, yeah. Hey, do you like me? Did you see what I did at school today? It's like, hey, I'm just I'm just trying to relax here, guy. <laughs> <laughs> no questions. Stop asking me questions. Peter, is there a mouth break at your household? It's more, yes, there is. What my kid does, he hums. He's very mm. musical. He's oh. gifted. I encourage that. But he's constantly humming these made-up melodies. And, again, I want to encourage it, but there's only so much that you can take in a day, man, before yeah. your sanity goes out the window. Yeah. And I, I feel like a bad dad because, look, like, I'm very compassionate. I'm very understanding. I'm basically a kid at heart, John. But when I, when it's the 15th time and I'm just like, I told you to stop, puppy, please. I feel, yeah. I feel bad. But we go there. I, we, I have a little bit. I'm a little bit anti-humming myself. Yeah, there's a lot of humming going on here. I don't, I don't like it. I and Anna, you do it. You're guilty of it sometimes. And I wasn't aware of that yeah. ever. You're the first person who's ever made me aware of that. So. Well, what happens is if you're humming something. Yeah. And I'm in the room, I will leave the room, and I'm now I'm humming. And I'm know. going, why am I humming? Your mind is very malleable Yeah, that way. I've been influenced by you. And I noticed, uh, same thing, our 8-year-old yeah. will sometimes hum at the dinner table. Uh -huh. And I'll look at her, and I'll be like, no humming. Are you humming, like, songs or, like, just random mm -hmm. noises? Anna, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. It's not me. She's doing, like, Camp Town Races or something. I don't understand. I don't know the song. Knowing me, it's probably some, <laughs> it's my terrible taste in music. Like, I'm, like, humming Coldplay or something. Probably. But uh, the 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 eight-year-old was doing it the other night at dinner. Is she humming? She's usually humming some variation of a tune. Yeah, she's going, and I'm like, it's time to take a bite. You can't take a bite while you're humming. <laughs> There'll be no humming. Oh, at the last table. night I instituted the there will be no conversation. Yeah, I thought that was until wrong. I I'm so over trying to no. beg them to eat. I think you're wrong on this one. I said there's no conversation happening at this table until the food is consumed. No. I I'm I'm Italian. <laughs> I grew up in an Italian household. The dinner, the food itself in an Italian household is great, but the food is complimentary. It's about conversation. 
the whole dinner thing, the process is supposed to be, how was your day? This is what happened. We have hey, lots of that. the pasta, yes. have some bread, what went on in yes. your, you know. We have but, so much of it that no food actually goes into <laughs> anyone's stomachs. Well, Anna says last night, guys, and I think she's, I think you're a bad parent for this one. <laughs> she says, there'll be no talking at dinner. And I was like, what's the point? Did Is, I cross the line? I that's not dinner line. if no one's talking. Like, I understand. Like, I sympathize with her. Like, I want to say sometimes, hey, no talking. But at the same time, it's like, you got to talk, right? Like, talking's essential. Is it, though? Isn't Is it? it? I, I raised the question last night. I said, well, what if someone's choking? Is yeah. it okay to say she's choking? No, you make <laughs> you the could... universal Heimlich maneuver. No, sign. we're not allowed to say. Hey, never... I, think the, I think the six-year-old's choking. She never and said I you can't... can't make noises. You just can't talk. <laughs> And the eight-year-old raised her hand and said, uh, if you're choking, you won't be able to talk. And I said, well, what about the other people? Can they go, like, who's doing the Heimlich maneuver? Like, you know, can we decide this? Am I allowed or do I have to do I have to mime it? Doesn't it sound fun to be a kid in our home? No talking. I'm actually of the mindset that... That I think we are. I'm gonna. I'm gonna self-criticize. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I think we are way out of bounds with how we push the food with kids. Oh, I'm sure we are. I think we we should be just putting the plate in front of them, and if they don't eat, it means they're not hungry. They got the nutrition somewhere else. You go round and round about. I this. don't think you need to tell the kid you need to take a bite. You need to take a oh, bite. Okay. I drive myself crazy doing that. Huh? I sit there sometimes with the six-year-old, and I'm like, you need a bite. You need a bite. Can I be done? No. You need two more bites. Is this a bite? I don't know if that qualifies as a bite. Like, I you, know. You go round and round. The so, nutritionist will tell you that that's, that's not the right behavior. Right? I can tell you this. A bad job. I can tell you this. A little good conversation will stimulate the appetite, Anna. <laughs> no humming. Not in our little house. little conversation. Though. I want you to leave it here. Get the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Been talking a little bit about Gonzaga on today's show, robots. Uh, how about uh, Major League Soccer, guys? Major League Soccer's looking at San Diego and Las Vegas as potential expansion franchise options. I, it caught my eye in part because the Pac-12 is looking for expansion, and I thought it was interesting that San Diego was a market that MLS saw as a viable market, and Las Vegas seems to pop up anytime there is a mention of a franchise available. Las Vegas is like, bring it on down. Um, does this make you at all think that the Pac-12 should be looking at UNLV? Does Las Vegas fit as a sports city? And I bring this up knowing that it was just a year ago I was in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, and George Klyovkov, who lives in Las Vegas, got up onto the stage, and he said, we're in the sports capital of the world. And I thought to myself, this is um, there's a potential here that He's spitting truth, but it's it's like Vegas declaring itself the sports capital doesn't make it the sports capital. What do you do with Las Vegas from a sports standpoint? I think if you're the Pac-12, I, I I said this numerous months ago. Like I think they're kind of a must-add. Like I think Vegas is that big of a growing city 
and you can have so many different events there in Vegas, like all these basketball tournaments some football games. Like, I think it would be great if you're the Pac-12 to have Vegas being representative as like the Pac-12 hub in being in Las Vegas. Like you will get other teams to travel out and have neutral site games with some other Pac-12 schools in Vegas because of it. Like, I, I think it's a lot of upside and, you know, the fans in Vegas are really good. Like UNLV has a really good fan base. We've seen how good the Raiders have done, the Golden Knights have done. Like I think it is I think it's a really emerging market and I know that there's not the T V households, but I do think like potentially like they are a it's a good it's a good spot to have and I do think you wanna be represented, you know, as the Pac twelve being you gotta be somewhat different, right? You gotta be different than these other conferences and I think having your hub basically be in Las Vegas, I think that's a great move. The the other cities that are being considered uh, are Detroit, Tampa, Phoenix, and Sacramento. They're all in the running. But Vegas and San Diego appear to have pulled away from the pack. Don Garber, uh, the MLS commissioner who's been on this show, said that Vegas is the front runner. He said they're making progress there. Uh, by the way, Wes Edens, who uh, happens to be involved with the Milwaukee Bucks organization as a co-owner, is leading the charge in Las Vegas Wes Edens attended Oregon State, guys. Like, there's a there's a connection here with Edens and owning the Bucks and being involved in this ownership group in Vegas. I think he knows an opportunity when he sees one. I agree, and um, I, I like I've, I you know right now if you just take the market of Vegas, it's not going to be huge, but I do think there's a lot of growth potential there. And I think if you're the Pac-12, you do have to take some risks. It's been so long for them to make this media deal. And it seems like, you know, you hear different people talking about, you know, they've missed out on potential deals. Like, you don't know how much this is true, but I do feel like the Pac-12 has to take some, some kind of shot. And I do think, you know, having themselves related to Vegas, I think it's a good, I think it's a good play. And I think that it has a chance to, you know, really grow and make them a better conference than what they are. Yeah, Las Vegas is a TV market, uh, you know, north of 750,000 television households, not in the realm of, you know, the top 20 markets in the country, but it's a rapidly growing market, and it's a market that, you know, we've, we've seen the success of the Golden Knights in Vegas. You, the Raiders have been a success in Vegas. I have no doubt that an NBA team in Vegas is going to print money. MLS not dumb, getting there before the NBA gets there. And the, I think, the Aces yeah. as well, the WNBA, yeah. they've been a really successful franchise. People show up in Vegas, and it's a you know again we talk about the growth, but is it the sports capital of the country or you know I I, I remember last year about a year ago when Klyovkov said that raising that as a question on the show and people went well I guess but what are the other candidates if we're looking at sports capital of the country I wouldn't say it's the sports capital of the world or the country I, I don't know what I would say is but I would say it's the event capital of the country. And so, you know, sports, sports entertainment, events, like I think it all fits together. Um, yeah, that's a good question of what the actual sports capital of the world is. I mean, let me think of that real quick. But, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's definitely the entertainment capital. And so for me, like sports and entertainment all goes kind of in one category. Would you consider Indianapolis a candidate for that? Indianapolis declares itself the sports capital of America. I don't think it is. Like I get you could say that you are. But saying you're good looking doesn't make you good looking. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, because I mean they have Super Bowls, they got you know the racing, they got basketball, which is huge there. I mean, but what are the other candidates? I don't really know what the other candidates would be. Like somewhere in Texas? Like no, I don't really think so. I think you'd have to you'd have to put Boston because the Boston sports fans passionate. Yeah, New, New York, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, L.A. 
you'd have to include, um, you know, those it, cities. It's, it's tough because those cities, like professionally, yeah, those those cities are. But when you look into like the college game, like those cities aren't very big. Like they don't really care about their college sports. So like, does that take into account? Any, so maybe Vegas is right. Maybe Vegas is the right answer, John, because they can accommodate pro amateur like all of it like high school like they accommodate all types of sports in that town right now and i think it can really just grow from there do you have how do you quantify what the best city is do we have to say that they have to have a football team in the city that you know whether it's a college team or an nfl team and it has to have a football team does it have to have a basketball team yes so does it have to have a baseball team no i don't think so okay does it have to have a soccer or hockey team I think you need to have at least one baseball, soccer, or hockey. All right, so I'm going to say you need to have football and you need to have basketball, and then you need to have a defining sport uh, in one of the other three. So baseball, soccer, hockey. So does Los Angeles check the boxes? Yes, it's got football, it's got the NFL, and it's got it in in a way that is meaningful. Uh, does it have basketball? Yes, it has two NBA teams, and look out, it's got some college teams too. Does it have baseball, soccer, soccer or hockey? Yes, it's got the Dodgers, it's got you know the Galaxy, it's got um, you know it's got LA checks a lot of boxes. Is LA in the conversation though? Because when I think of LA, I think about the late arriving sports fan, and that's not the sports capital of the world. Yeah, I, I think the fan, uh, you know, showing up in the third inning, leaving in the sixth, and only caring if you're a championship contender. I think that hurts them. To me, it's such a generic answer, but I think it's New York. They, they don't. They not only have one of everything; they have two of everything. It's year round there. LA, or you know, you look at a team. So you have football, you have basketball, you have one of the other three. But if it's hockey, what do you have during the summer months? So I think New York. It, it's just just the sheer quantity of options. You at least have a portion of that fan base or that population base that's really popular. I mean, you know, WFAN sort of invented what we're doing right now. That came out of New York. That's my vote. How about sneaky good Pittsburgh? You've got Mm. NFL. You've got college with Pitt. You've got got, uh, baseball with the Pirates. You've got hockey with uh, the Penguins. Um, is it enough? I think it's just sneaky. I don't think it's a sports capital of the country candidate, but I think it's good for a smaller market. You know, a market that's similar in size to Portland has far more when it comes to professional teams and yeah. offerings. Yeah, and I mean, if you broaden it a little bit, just go to Pennsylvania, you know, college sports-wise, you know, it's big there too. Villanova, Penn State, like all those yeah. schools. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really uh, sneaky one right there, like you said. How about uh, I don't I don't think Miami works. I think it's got some you know checks some of the boxes but not all. Dallas, Texas is interesting because if you include kind of the surrounding area, you have AT&T Stadium, so you have the Dallas Cowboys. You've got the Rangers in Arlington. You've got the Mavericks playing in the NBA. Um you know, you've got soccer. Uh you know, that soccer, hockey, baseball thing is covered. Um it, it's the Dallas sports market a candidate for being the capital of the country. I think so. So in my mind, like now that I'm thinking about this more and I do think Dallas and Vegas probably are the top two for me. And because the the reason why I say that is, is people will travel to those places to watch your team play. And there's one big stadium that represents that, you know, that area. Vegas has a Legion stadium, which is a you know great stadium over in Vegas. And like you said, AT&T stadium down in Dallas, like 
those are landmark stadiums that people will go out and visit their team when they're playing a neutral site or a road game out there. And so I do think that is that's big. Where I think if you look at New York, like Peter was saying, New York, which is a great sports town, maybe the right answer. I mean, I guess it's Yankee Stadium. MSG. MSG. I mean, I guess. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe that but theory New is York, wrong. New York's got more major sports championships than any city in the country. I have 65 sports championships in the big five sports. Boston's second at 40. L.A.'s third at 33. But L.A. has the most professional teams. 11 teams. Dodgers, Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Rams, Chargers, Sparks, LAFC, Galaxy, um, Angel City FC, and uh, there's there's one more I'm missing. It's a soccer club. But, um, it, it you know, L.A.'s got 11 different teams. But I can't get over the fact that the fans leave the games early. It's ridiculous. Maybe because they're going to a different game. Yeah, I don't think L.A. I can't even consider L.A. like to be a, a contender, to be honest. How about Chicago? <laughs> yeah, I guess just because their fans are rabid. But no, no, I'm taking back. I don't I don't consider them. I think New York would be way ahead of them. New York and L.A. are the only two cities with two or more teams in all four major sports. That, to me... They're in the conversation because of that. But uh, I'm also looking at Vegas going, you know what? They're going to hold a game or a sport. Right now, if there's an expansion franchise you want to own, it's a franchise headed to Vegas because you know it's going to win. And you know you're going to print money. You're going to have people inside your venue. I also think the fact that like when we talk about the Super Bowl and being it, if they're going to hold the Super Bowl in one spot, like Vegas gets brought up as like the spot to hold it. It's like New Orleans and Vegas are like the two spots. Like, hey, they could always have it here, and it's going to be great. Like, I think that does have to play into it. Like, Vegas is such an event capital that like you can hold any sporting event there, and it's going to be wildly successful, no matter what it is. Largest city in the country that does not have an NFL team. Do you know it? I do. I'll give you the answer when we come back. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Largest city in America without an NFL team. Anna, the answer is... San Francisco. That's the 49ers. How could you even say that? I know, I know, I know. I'm just running down the list. Think about market 20 to 25 right in there. Oh, like Portland. Portland's number six as far as population not having an NFL team. There Mm -hmm. are five other cities larger than Portland that also don't have an NFL team. Hmm. Who are they? Hmm. Okay. El Paso, Texas does not have an NFL team. That would not have come to Oklahoma mind. City, Oklahoma does not have an NFL team. Well, they stole our basketball team. San Jose, California does not have an NFL team. It does. It is Santa Clara. It has the Niners. What are they talking about on this list? Mm-hmm. San Diego lost the Chargers. They're number two. The number one team, the number one city with a population of 1.5 million is San Antonio, Texas. Does not have an NFL team. Mm-hmm. So we're about sixth in line. 
to get an NFL team mm-hmm. here in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Would you have got that right, Stephen? Were you on it, San Antonio? Yeah, 100%. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. But <laughs> um, but uh, there's also like a lot of towns that are smaller than Portland, too. Can we get rid of them and make Portland like fourth in line? Yeah. Third in line? Get rid of Nashville. Green Bay. Yeah. Kansas City. Yeah. You know, bring, uh, you know, what, what have they done? Come nah. on. What have, what have the Chiefs done? Come have on. They even yeah, also, out of there. I misspoke. I said Oklahoma City stole our team. Technically not our team. They stole the Sonics. Are you in Seattle right I'm now? I'm not in Seattle. Sorry. Anna. <laughs> I know. The 5 at I 5 is coming up. It. Anna will uh, talk <laughs> about five things going on in Seattle. That's part of the 5 at 5. <laughs> Oklahoma City stealing our team. <laughs> like it just happened, too. <laughs> I know. I know. I happened to be at Key Arena the night that Clay Bennett addressed the staff the ushers uh i believe the blazers were playing there and i happened to be in the arena and clay bennett was talking to the ushers and like the staffers who were working inside the arena yeah he had just bought the team and i was in the arena early the staff shows up here's the guy who's buying the team now in hindsight I would have taken better notes. I just kind of <laughs> eavesdropped on the conversation. Like, what is this guy? Who is this guy? Yeah. And why is he talking to all the ushers? And he was reassuring them that he was proud to have them there. And they had just bought the team. And the plan was to keep the team in Seattle. Hmm. And, you know, I'm here for you. He was doing what a good owner would do after he buys the team. He's literally talking to the support staff inside the arena, basically telling them, Hey, this is going to be great, you know, and, you know, as we all know now, he was, he probably left that meeting and said, let's get out of here. We're going to pack, you know, <laughs> and, and leave. I, I do think Seattle's going to get a team with NBA expansion. It's the worst kept secret that the league has is that the NBA is going to Seattle and Las Vegas with the, with the two expansion teams. And I think it's going to be great for Portland in a number of ways. One of them is it's going to remove the possibility that the Blazers would ever move to Seattle. Yeah. So as soon as Seattle gets a team, Portland can go, okay, we don't have to worry about Seattle anymore. Yeah. And Jody Allen and all that stuff hanging overhead. Mm-hmm. And the other thing it's going to do is it's going to create an, a nice little rivalry. Yeah. Was that a nice little rivalry in your childhood? It was fantastic. You didn't like the Sonics. No, hated the Sonics. Hated the Lakers more, but, you know, had like like the, the rivalry with the Sonics was sort of like a friendly rivalry. And then, but the hate for the Lakers was like deep seated and real. Like, had me yelling nicknames, bad nicknames, as like a you were sixth grader. Profane things at your radio? <laughs> at a television, television radio. Yes. <laughs> there you have it. You learn something every day on this show. Do you guys remember the rivalry with Seattle? Would it immediately be renewed or would it take some time? Does it take a Xavier Daniel? Does it take, you know, uh, uh, you know the Seattle beating Portland? And uh, doing them dirty for the fans to get riled up again. I didn't think, oh, go for it. I, I, th- I think it's immediate with the fans. It'll take a little time for the players, you know, to not necessarily like each other. But there's enough of us around, Stephen, that we're going to reignite this thing from the day it's announced. I mean, before they even play. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing. Like, Portland, you know. I hate to say this, but like Portland's always kind of like the little brother of Seattle, and so we always have that chip on our shoulder of like we can be we can beat those guys up there. So like that, I think Peter's right with the fans. Yeah, hundred percent from day one, there will be rivalry. I feel like there was a weird dynamic that wasn't you know. There's obviously little brother, big brother dynamic between 
any two cities that are located in that kind of proximity when one of the cities is smaller. Mm -hmm. Fresno has that with L.A. and the Bay Area. It has this inferiority complex that affects it. But I also think there was another little weird thing at play. Paul Allen, you know, couldn't get the Sonics. He ends up buying the Blazers. He then has Nate McMillan as his coach, drafts Martell Webster, drafts Brandon Roy, you know, brought Detlef Shrimp in, got Sean Kemp on a contract. It was like he was trying to recreate, recreate Seattle mm -hmm. in Portland. And I, it was weird. It, it was like I kept thinking they're going to bring the Space Needle here. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Calabro as well. Yes. Calabro calling the games. It, you know, you know what he was trying to do. He grew up watching that team. He couldn't get the Sonics. And so as a, you know, as a consolation, he got the Blazers, and then he tried to turn it into Seattle South. <laughs> and I think it was weird. I think it hurt the franchise, and it hurt the fan base. So, yes, get a team in Seattle. Let's get this rivalry going. The 5 at 5 is next. B F F T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. We've talked robots on today's show. We've talked about Willie Taggart leaving whatever job he might have taken to go <laughs> to go to the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Willie Taggart, in a 12-month period, was the head coach at three different college football programs. Coached a game at South Florida. Coached a game at Oregon. Coached a game at Florida State in a calendar year. He was the head coach at three different three different schools. I feel like this offseason, he's been the coach at Colorado, assistant at Miami, and now the Baltimore Ravens. Getting the picture that Willie Taggart is on the move. Packs lightly. Maybe that's the new wave. There's going to be just journeyman assistant coaches flying around the country. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think he's just excited about the Vegas Bowl gets to play there now in an NFL game as the running backs coach at uh, at uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, we've got good stuff for you this hour. Bill Riley, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, will be joining us uh, later this hour. But Anna's going to kick us off with the five at five. The five at five. The number one story is Anna sees it. All right. I don't know if you guys have seen this video, but Dwight Howard gets ejected from a Taiwanese basketball league game over the weekend. This is after members of both teams got into a wild skirmish on the court. This all went down. Now, get this. The names of these teams are fantastic. Uh, his team is the Taoyuan Leopards, and they were playing the Taiwan Beer Hero Bears. That's right, the Beer Hero Bears. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so are you talking about Pokemon or something? No, what are we talking no, about here? These are real uh, T1 basketball teams in Taiwan. These are professional basketball teams. <laughs> well. No one's more amused than me. Uh, so there was someone elbowed in the face, big fight, uh, 
all hell broke loose. Lots of mayhem. Now, the craziest thing is that an assistant coach ran onto the court and started throwing multiple punches at a team member of the other team before the referees restrained him. This was just a mess. It was a melee. Um, but it's funny because Howard, along with 11 other players and staff members, were ejected from the game. It didn't really look like he did anything except for try to be the peacemaker and separate people. But he got ejected anyway. There you go. You can't be throwing punches. You can't be setting off a Donnybrook in any continent that'll get you ejected from the game. <laughs> uh, I saw a Washington baseball player, I tweeted about this yesterday, who got ejected for the home run thing. I found out more about it. Um, the The officials had warned the both teams against taunting. So the kid just pointing to his chest got him ejected. It looked like it was nothing. I kind of put this a little bit on the players, Anna, but also the officials have to have control of the game. And I think sometimes the officials lose control of a game. Put it on the officials. They're managing a game. And, oh, by the way, there's a real shortage of officials out there. People haven't noticed at the youth level. And I think it will one day affect what is happening in college and in the NFL. If we're not careful, we need good officials. So stop barking at the officials at your youth soccer game or your basketball game. It's not right. Anna, number two, go. Brittany Griner all smiles in her return to the WNBA. She was uh, out practicing today, and the Phoenix Mercury was showing video of her shoot-around session. Uh, this was just a couple days after she got a one-year deal to return to her former team. She hasn't played since the 2021 season. Uh, as you know, she was arrested at an airport outside Moscow in February of 2022 uh, after Russia claimed that she was caught attempting to smuggle vape cartridges into the country. Yeah, and yeah, I'm glad you said it that way because the stories I read earlier today, I kind of, I, I, it's the phrase they use. They're, you know, she's she's coming back onto the court. Follow, you know, her return to the United States nine months after her detainment in Russia. But I keep hearing people say it was a wrongful detainment. If you break a law in another country, it's not a wrongful detainment. I think it's horrible. It was a horrible detainment. I wouldn't have wished it upon her, but um, she signed a one-year contract with the Mercury. She got only $165,000, a 32% pay cut over what she was offered the season before. So she was... Uh, Supposed to get 234, she got 165. She uh, took the pay cut because she knows her team can be better and use that m extra money in other ways to uh, get better players. So she's being a team player here. Good on her. Uh, speaking of Russia, a little look back. Do you remember what this day was on this day? On February. In 1980. Oh, was it the hockey team? Team USA hockey beats the defending four-time gold medalist Soviet Union in the Miracle on Ice. It wasn't this. That wasn't the gold medal game, but it was. Uh, it was a miracle nonetheless. Here's Al Michaels on the call. Ten seconds. You've got ten seconds. Placid, New York, that hockey team will forever remain etched in my memory as the greatest sports thing I ever witnessed as a fan. It was unexpected. 
I didn't know or love a lot about hockey before that Olympics, but I was skating around my parents' kitchen linoleum floor with socks on and a broom in my hand and a, and a thermos lid, and I was shooting it at my younger brother, trying to get it past the Russian goalkeeper to get a goal. Uh, what a great call by Al Michaels, and what a great moment. If you haven't seen the movie Miracle, you, you'll want to check that out. Love that speech in the movie. Miracle, by the way. Herb Brooks. You heard the pep talk? Yeah. Have you heard it? I have. I'll play it again since you haven't heard it. <laughs> Coming up in a minute. Welcome number my world. Number four. Is it four? Yeah, four, five. four. Yeah, okay. moving along. We've been discussing this. More people are chiming in on the uh, load management issue. Oh, brother. Damar DeRozan of the Bulls says that NBA players should play 78 games minimum to be in the MVP race. 78. I think, he, you sh I think you should have to play all 82. Well, he said preferably <laughs> they would play all 82, but he gave 78 as the minimum that they should appear in. I think you should have to play all 82 games. I think there were only eight players who did it last year. Okay, but what do you make of this? Because Adam Silver's really downplaying it. He's saying that, you know, the world that we used to have where it's like get out there and play through injuries, he says he doesn't think that's appropriate. He says these are human beings who are often playing through enormous pain. Yeah, I think he's he knows he has a collective bargaining agreement uh, conversation that is coming down the pipeline, and he's not fanning the flames on this issue. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this, but I think what we're seeing now is some public shaming, and I think it's good. There's some public accountability for guys who are sitting out too often when they're healthy enough to go. Number five in the five at five. Finally, the world of chess having its own Me Too movement. Oh, no. Don't laugh. Oh, no. Sexual assault allegations have been made against one of the game's most notable and accomplished grandmasters. Accusations of grooming and sex abuse have recently rocked the world of professional chess. Grandmaster Alejandro Ramirez is reportedly under investigation by two, count him, two major chess organizations for bad behavior. Okay. There was a long pause there. You were deciding I was what to scrolling. read. You were deciding what well, not there's, to there's, say. Well, there's multiple investigations, including a series of alleged incidents involving a minor. This is not good. This is bad. You know what? Um, at a time when we're telling young people, hey, especially young girls, go play chess. A um, couple of the chess experts, is that what we call them, experts? Great chess players? Grandmasters. Grandmasters. Grand Talk about why so many girls drop out of chess after a certain age. Um, I see a couple players on Twitter who are saying, I've faced this in my 50 years of chess. Verbal, mental, physical, sexual harassment, abuse, being blacklisted by chess organizations for speaking out. Uh, get your house in order. In that, And I'm talking to you, chess, as well as the NFL and other sports. This is disturbing. Not good. Time's up. There it is. That's the five at five. Guys, do you remember the 1980 Miracle on Ice? Uh, was that a big moment in your childhood, or is, am I showing my age? I was too. I uh, was not born, so okay. you are showing your age a little bit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I was I was nine, and Mike Ruzioni and Jim Craig, and 
you know, obviously, you had Herb Brooks as the coach. He was like, you know, this stoic figure, never smiled until, you know, until they scored on the Soviets uh, late in the third period, and suddenly we're in the driver's seat. Now, finally, Herb Brooks we had a smile on his face, and, you know, it was a, it was a collection of college athletes who were playing against the Russian team that had absolutely destroyed them in the uh, the uh, hockey matches that were held in the run-up to the Olympics. Uh, you know, the Soviets at that time um, were, you know, fielding some of the best teams in the world and didn't have their professional players in the NHL. But, you know, this was a, you know, this was a uh, United States team that had surrendered 52 shot attempts against 25 for the United States in the game and somehow found a way to beat the Soviets 4-3 to in Lake Placid. And I got to tell you, I was on the edge of my seat as a kid. And the movie Miracle, Mike Rich, who lives in the, and works in the state of Oregon, wrote Finding Forrester, wrote Secretariat, fantastic screenwriter, might be the best sports screenwriter uh, of all time when it comes to movies. Mike Rich, uh, you know, was involved with Miracle and the screenplay, but here's Herb Brooks um, and that speech. Uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Kurt Russell giving the performance. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. one game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. In the run-up to that Olympics, the United States played the Soviets in an exhibition and lost 10 to 3. And in the prior 12 matchups between the Soviet Union and the United States between 1960 and 1980, the Soviets were 12 and 0 and outscored the Americans 117 to 26. But the uh, miracle on ice. Uh, goes down as one of the great moments in sports history and 
Thank you for mentioning it today, Andy. Ten seconds. You've got ten seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to goal. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Al Michaels on the call and, uh, you know, Bedlam on the ice in Lake Placid uh, all those years ago on February the 22nd. Coming up, Bill Riley, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. We're going to talk some college basketball, some college football, and much more. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest uh, is a frequent, I'm going to call him the contributor on this show. Bill Riley, Salt Lake City, ESPN 700. Uh, this is a guy who for a couple of decades now has uh, been the, the longest tenured member of uh, not only the ESPN 700 family, but uh, University of Utah, the voice of athletics on their campus. And guess what? He was in the All-Star City. I have to know what that was like, Bill Riley. What was the run-up to the All-Star Game like in your in your town? It was uh, it was fun, John. I, I, I was out of town for part of it. I was with the Utes in Arizona, and, but I got back for Saturday night and then Sunday. And I'll say this: you know, this town's put on big events. We hosted the Olympics. It's kind of a big event. Uh, about 21 years ago, and it kind of reminded me of a smaller version of that. People coming in from all over the place pop-up stores all over town, bars, restaurants, everything, slam, jam, packed for four days. Um, you know, the Jazz did a really good job putting on the event. Um, it was well attended. Um, I don't know if the game was, but all the other events were. It was just it was just really cool to have it here. I mean, it, it was here 30 years ago when Larry Miller first built the Delta Center downtown, and it came back again. So it was, it was nice to have it here, and... Uh, but it's one of those events you don't want all the time. But it was cool to have it here, and even if even if the even if the product on the floor was garbage on Sunday night, everything else was really good. Yeah, because I, I mean the event has become less about the game and more just about the weekend. And you know I have to think I was there maybe a week or ten days before the hoopla all started, and I could feel the city was kind of getting ready for it. You had heard about this, probably talked about for several months, and if not years as the planning went along, did, you know, did the, was it a proud moment for Salt Lake City? Like, did people go, hey, we're, we're hosting this game, and were they proud of their city? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this city has grown up a lot, too, really, in the last, I mean, certainly since they hosted the game last. You've been coming here enough over the years to see how the downtown and the city and everything has grown. Uh, the demographics of the city has changed. We've had so many darn Californians move into this market because they wanted to get out of California, the Silicon Slopes, uh, down in down in Utah County. It, it's just, no, they were, I mean, you know, when Utah puts something on, they, you know, it's not just Salt Lake. You know, th this state kind of puts it on and, and gets behind it, and the governor was part of it, and the, the jazz ownership and former players came back. So, no, it was it was a big deal and people enjoyed it and, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, your guy kind of, you know, our adopted son here in the state, Dame Lillard wins the three point shootout wearing his Weber state Jersey people in this state love him. I mean, I would tell you outside of probably Lowry Markin and 
Nobody got a bigger ovation all weekend long than Dame. He is he is beloved here in the state of Utah, and you know he loves this state too. I mean, Portland's his home now. He's from Oakland, but he still considers Utah a place that's uh, very close to his heart. He comes back here in the summertime, does a lot here. The open mic incident with Shaq and some guys talking about, hey, there's not a lot to do, or I, I've been in my room, I've never ate so much room service. Like, I think Salt Lake City's got some good restaurants. Did the city take that personally? Oh, yeah. I mean, this this state always has a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. You know, the Mormon culture here takes shots from everybody around the world. But that's what I was saying, John. This You've been here enough. The, the demographics of this market have changed so much. And, I, you know, Charles and Shaq, I mean, I don't think they went to Capitol Grill. I don't think they went to Vaulters. I, I mean, they were probably in VIP rooms. There's <laughs> the, the restaurant scene in this city is, is you know, it's, it's a growing and vibrant scene, a lot like Portland's is. Portland's got a great drinking and eating scene, and Salt Lake's got so many distilleries and breweries all over the place in the restaurant scene. Yeah, people, I, I didn't take it personally, but, you know, people get a little upset about it. And, I, you know, my thought is, Shaq Eternals probably never left the VIP area, so what are they talking about? Bill Riley, ESPN 700. The voice of Utah Athletics is is our guest. It's interesting, you know, you are you also call the MLS games in Salt Lake City, and I noticed Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, he's talking about San Diego and Las Vegas for the expansion franchise that the MLS wants to uh, put next. And it got me thinking about Pac-12 expansion, and, you know, and looking at Vegas and looking at San Diego as emerging markets. Like, how does that does, – is there a correlation between maybe what's right for MLS could be right for the Pac-12? Well, I'll say this about MLS because I've been around for 18 years. Uh, my, my biggest fear with MLS is they're, they're kind of drunk on their, on their rights fees. I mean, when Dave Checkett's brought Real Salt Lake here, he paid $10 million. The rights fees for club – I don't know what, what – what, uh, what the Portland fee was years later, but it's it, it's up to almost $400 million. They have a terrible TV deal still. Who knows if this Apple thing is going to work. The money that was kicked around on the Apple deal isn't accurate because the clubs in the league are still paying all the production costs. So it's not a $2.5 billion deal. It's under $2 billion when you factor in the fact the clubs and the, and the teams are, are still paying for production. But anyway, back to your point, um, I think they've expanded too fast. To get 30 clubs is probably too much. But to the Pac-12 point, I'll be honest, John, San Diego to me is a slam dunk. They've done it right athletically. They've got a good stadium at Southern California. I know that the league is looking at SMU. I know that. But to be honest, SMU's football is solid, and their basketball is average. And they're a non-player in the Metroplex. At least UNLV is in the regional footprint. It's in an emerging market. And it's, it's got some familiarity to the schools out west. I, I know that academically it may not check the boxes, but the more I've thought about it, the more I would be more on, on board with, with Las Vegas, I think, and UNLV joining the league than I would be for SMU, to be very fair, especially because Las Vegas has become kind of the de facto home of the conference for all its championships and big neutral site football games. It's interesting that, you know, we're talking San Diego State, and they've done some things, right? They've they have Snapdragon Stadium. They've done some things on their campus that have taken years and years and years to position them for this moment. It reminds me a little bit of what Utah did in front of their move to the Pac-12. You were there. What was that yeah. time like? What factors sort of fell into place? 
Well, I, I mean, football was good. And then, of course, I think there was there were some thoughts percolating. But when Utah went undefeated in the 2008 season and then beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, what it showed was they had a top-notch football program. Basketball program's always been good. I know it's been down the last few years, but it's a top-15 winning program in the history of college basketball. So they had that. You had the city. The university's a research institution. And, and there were just a lot of things going for, you know, they, they, I don't know that they were necessarily positioning themselves for that move long term. I think it was just kind of the natural evolution of the university and the football program. But when that met the opportunity that the Pac-10 presented, when it looked to expand, when it, when it whiffed on Texas and Oklahoma and the other schools, the, the, the bottom line is Chris Hill was the athletic director. The university was in a good place. The football program, more importantly, was on the rise. It just it showed they were in position to be able to make that jump and be able to make that move. The you know in and in Utah at that time, was there some doubt whether Utah could perform? You know and and look now we're looking at a program that you know not has back to back championships and is around the conference title game. It seems like every season. But was there some doubt at that time that Utah would be able to put it together? I think everybody knew that the blueprint was there. Kyle Whittingham and his staff, even going back to the Mountain West days, John, were really good at player development. I just think that everybody knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. I think they knew it would take two or three years. It would take some patience to do it. But I think they felt like they had the resources and the right guy in place, at least on the football and then on the basketball side. The Olympic sports were where they were worried a little bit more because, you know, the Pac-10, Pac-12 is so good in the Olympic sports. Well, those have come along as well. But I think between Chris Hill and Kyle Whittingham, they knew what it would take. They knew it wouldn't happen overnight, and there was patience there. And that patience paid off after about three and a half years. Utah was then competing on a pretty regular basis because they recruited well and developed talent well. We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, the voice of Utah Athletics. The Pac-12 you know, is trying to negotiate a media rights deal. They've got the presidents and athletic directors all sort of pointing to mid-March. And in the meantime, we've got all this national noise. And you and I have texted a little bit about this, Bill. But I've never been more disappointed, I think, in, in like the media at large just reporting stuff and throwing stuff out there, just getting clicks, not you know really reporting stuff that is advancing the story or telling readers what they need to know. It's been interesting the last couple of days. You know, Pete Thamel, who's a really good college football reporter, put the story out. But if you actually read the story, there was really nothing different than you've been reporting. I've been talking about things of that, and they, John Wilner, too, for the last couple of weeks. And then Andrew Marchand, who's a really good media reporter back east in New York. I don't know what his connections are out west. And he lobs the Apple thing out there, and it looks good in a headline. And then you read a little further. And he was just speculating. He didn't have a source that was telling him Apple would be part of it. He was just trying to connect some dots. So the, so the stance I've taken is I'm not going to throw dirt on anything yet until I see what the deal is. And I think that's kind of the stance the Pac-12 schools have taken, too. Let's see what the deal is that George Klyovkov brings back. They're talking about this, well, you know, they may have to piece it together. Well, isn't that what we've been talking about for, for almost a year, John? Nobody thought that anybody was going to come in and write one really big check. We've been talking about ESPN and a streaming partner and maybe somebody else. I think we've always known it was going to be a piece-together deal, but that doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as you get the number that you need, right? 
Yeah, I think you know people are going to look at that bottom line, and I and I I don't think the outside non-Pac-12 media, non-Pac-12 fans understand quite understand the frustration that the fans inside the footprint had with with the Pac-12 networks and the lack of distribution, and it's why when Amazon comes up as a streaming partner or Apple comes up as it did yesterday, there's all this uproar nationally, but. I think a lot of us are looking at it going, hey, maybe I know how to get those things. I don't know how to find the Pac-12 network when I'm on the road and I'm in a hotel and I can't get it. That's the biggest issue we've had for years. And really, it's an issue that's plagued Utah fans going back to the days of the Mountain, John. I mean, the Mountain was a disaster as well. When the Mountain West Conference tried to start its own network, you couldn't get that anywhere either. So people around here in these parts, all they care is, can I get it? Where can I get it? If it's on a device, great. If it's on ESPN, great. I just need to know where to get it. I don't want to have to change my subscriber that I like, but tell me where I could pay a little bit more, and I'm more than willing to pay to get it. That's really what people want as much as anything else. I think you and I have talked about this, too. I don't think anybody's quite ready for a primary, you know, the, the first-tier streaming, because I think the problem with that ends up being – you lose the promotional vantage point that you get from partnering up with an ESPN. But I think everybody would be more than willing and probably be happy if the second-tier partner was an Amazon or an Apple. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, completely. And and I think right now what the conference needs is it needs a shot in the arm. It needs a pat on the back. It needs to you know get some good news. Uh, do you think the conference has been foolish or maybe – flawed in their strategy, Bill, in being so quiet between July and now? I think George Klyovkov, I mean, I, I understand why he's doing it, but I, I think a little bit more communication, just saying, hey, here's where we are. You know, we're taking our time. We're not bidding against anybody. I, I think a little bit more communication would have been helpful because we've, we've heard these artificial deadlines. Oh, we're going to hear something in November. Ah, no, it's probably going to be more like after the Pac-12 championship game or around there. Mm, wait a minute, the UCLA's folks are beat with the Board of Regents. Might be after that, but before the new year. Mm, sometime in mid-January, probably in February. Well, now we're almost in March, and we still haven't heard anything. So, you know, we, we've heard these kind of sort of deadlines that nobody's really said, but people have said. You and I have talked to people that have both told us that. I think it would have been great if the conference just came out and said, hey, here's what we're doing. We're still talking. We're looking at doing some things. Nothing's definitive, but we're making some progress. Doesn't have to be anything specific, but you know, it does also, you know, we've heard these artificial deadlines, and I think it's raised people's expectations. And because none of those deadlines, at least to this point in time, have been met, I think that's where the fear factor comes in. Bill Riley, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. Bill, I'll let you go soon. I want to talk a little bit of basketball. We've got sort of the uh, final stretch here for the men's teams. Uh, Utah in the hunt for one of the top four seeds in the men's uh, standings. If they can be in the four seed, they will get a bye in the opening round of the tournament in Vegas, so it's very important to be a top four. Um, you, what has Utah done well? How do you feel about them right now? You know, Are they playing their best basketball? How healthy are they? All that. Well, they're not healthy. They're two of their top three players are out with ankle injuries. They're not playing good basketball. They got swept by the Arizona schools. And uh, are, could they still? Yeah, but they've got USC and UCLA this week, two teams that are probably tournament teams right now, UCLA tomorrow night, USC on Saturday. They close with Colorado, so they've got three Tier 1 games still. 
but they're beat up right now, John. So they're certainly better than where they were a year ago. Um, they're going to outperform their preseason expectation, which was 10th. Um, but they're hurt right now. And it's two of, two of their top three players in Madsen and Wooster who are not playing right now. So that, that's problematic for Craig Smith's team. Um, I think if those guys can get healthy by the Colorado game, which is the final game of the regular season and in the tournament, Utah could make a little noise down there. But if I were a betting man right now, I'd probably see NIT is probably where they're heading, which, again, is not a bad place to be. Some of the NIT bracketologists, there are such things, have said probably a top-four seed in the NIT, which is not a bad thing, and, and see where it goes. But I think the injuries have hurt them now over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Hey, I appreciate you. I'll be in Vegas to see the basketball play out. But uh, it's been good uh, talking with you today and, of course, throughout the season, Bill. And we'll catch up with you down the road. I appreciate you giving us your time. Hey, thanks, John. I'll see you in Vegas. There he is, Bill Riley, ESPN 700. It's going to be a race for that four spot in the men's Pac-12 tournament standings. Currently, UCLA and Arizona are locked into the one and the two spot. USC sitting in the three spot with an 11-5 and five record. Now, a game and a half back is Arizona State, but Arizona State plays at Arizona, then has to play both USC and UCLA. All three games for Arizona State against teams in front of them in the standings. They're sitting at 10-7. and seven. Utah's also at 10-7. and seven. You just heard Bill Riley talk about the injuries. And Utah also has to play USC, UCLA, and Colorado. Those are tough games for a team especially that's beat up. One game back at 9-8. and eight. Don't write them off just yet. The Oregon Ducks and Dana Altman, a team that at a multiple junctures of the season i've looked at and gone they're ready to take a step forward and just when i believe that they get kicked in the teeth and they lose or they lay an egg and don't play a good game but look at oregon's schedule now they're a game back of that four spot here's their final three games at oregon state on saturday then at home against cal three and 24 cal enduring the worst basketball season in cal basketball history and then Stanford in the season finale. They've got the three teams at the bottom of the standings. I kind of suspect, I'm going to call it here, Stephen, Oregon's going to finish fourth in the Pac-12 standings and get a first-round bye in the Pac-12 men's tournament. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that take. Uh, it does seem like they're going to go 3-0. and I know they've been struggling a little bit lately, uh, losing both Washington schools, but... Uh, you know, Cal and Oregon State, they're on a different level than Washington Washington State. I think those teams are a little bit better than those uh, than those bottom two teams. So, yeah, I think Oregon ends up 12-8, and eight, and then it all kind of depends on tiebreakers and stuff. But I, I think you're right. I think Oregon's going to sneak in and get that four seed. And if you're UCLA, I mean, I don't think you want to face Oregon. Like, Oregon's one of those teams where they can beat anybody on any given night. Like, that's how talented they are and how good of coach or how well coached they are with Dane Altman. I think they're a very dangerous team in that Pac-12 tournament. And depending on the draw, I mean, they got a shot. They have bad competition in the last three games. And I kind of think Arizona State could go 1-2, and two, could go 0-3. Oh Utah could go 1-2, and two, could go 0-3. Oh I don't see either one of those programs winning more than two games. The Ducks go 3-0, and oh, and they're the four seed. But they've got to beat their rival. Then they have to beat a Cal team that has been terrible this year and beat a Stanford team that can shoot it a little bit. Stanford's bad, bad record, but they can shoot it. So that's the one that is a little bit dicey. 
rivalry game and then the Stanford game for Dana Altman. And I'm afraid to believe because every time I look at Oregon and go, okay, they're healthier now, they've, they've, they're playing better basketball, what do they do? They lose back-to-back games to Washington and Washington State, put themselves in a terrible predicament. Leave it here. you got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, it's really snowing out there. Are you guys looking outside now? Oh, yeah. It's, it's coming yeah, down. Yeah, it's a zoo out there. It's coming down. I want people to be careful if you're driving. You know, don't act like uh, this is the first time you've been in snow, okay? Why, why are you laughing? You, you should, laughing at the people. You should yeah. see it outside our window right now. It's a All right, tra- set the scene. Traffic is a disaster just on Jefferson. We've seen, like, at one point there's seven stalled-out cars and a bus blocking it completely. Like, it's, it is a mess downtown. Yeah, it's like one one car gets stuck, and then the other car tries to go around it, and then they get stuck, and then the, complete, the whole street is completely blocked. And now there's just cars backed up, you know, until you can see. Be patient. You're going to get where you're going. And, uh, you know, give yourself lots of room. I mean, I, and look, I, I know that I left California years ago to go to the Midwest and cover Big Ten basketball and football. I had this great job. I'm in the Midwest. It starts snowing. I had no idea what I was doing. But I can tell you that the Midwesterners who had lived in the snow, they knew exactly what to do. They went right into snow mode. Us, in the Pacific Northwest, we, in the Pacific Northwest, we don't know what we're doing with this wintry mix of snow and rain or whatever it is going to be as the temperatures move around. So just be careful out there. Leave yourself room. Be patient. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, you can ultimately, uh, you can, you're, you're going to get where you need to go is what I'm saying. So... You know, that will be something that you'll have to worry about when, you know, obviously uh, as you get there. But you're going to get where you're going to go, and I just encourage people to kind of go slow and, you know, take take your time getting there. Also, if you see somebody uh, driving, uh, you know, you can uh, give, do them a favor by leaving them enough room unless you're at a standstill. But I would like people to call in. And tell us where you're at, and tell us what the conditions are on the road. 503-417-7575. Give us your report. And by the way, if you're home right now, if you're home right now, you need to stay home. You don't need to be getting in your car to go, like, hey, i got to run an errand because i got to see what it's like to be driving around in the snow. Um, you know, this That's not your role right now. But I want to get, like, we're going to crowdsource what the traffic situation is. So if you're out there right now and you're driving, I want to hear from you at 417-7575 in the 503 area code. And Or if you're at home or you have a good vantage point where you can see one of the major roads or see the mess that is going on, or maybe you just got home, I want to hear from you as well as we maybe help some other people get to where they're going and not get stuck as some people are getting stuck. And we all know this happens. Josh is in Vancouver. Josh, tell us where you are and what you see. So, John, I am on Lombard right now heading eastbound. Um, and from the M- from MLK uh, eastward, 
towards, and I just passed Gardner two minutes ago. I've been on Lombard for two hours and ten minutes. Um, I can see comfortably about ten cars ahead of me. After that, everything starts to get really hard to see. Um, I'd say there's probably maybe, yeah, four or five inches of snow on the ground. But from what I can tell, man, when I first got onto Lombard, the temperatures were 34 degrees. They've dropped, at least where I'm at now, to 31. So everything that was on the road that was kind of wet and slushy, it's definitely turned into a sheet of ice. So be careful out there, people. John, that's my best yep. weather person report you're ever going to get from just a guy driving his car to call in a sports show. I love it. And you're going to help somebody out. Uh, Finn is in southwest Portland. He's going to give us a report. Finn, what are you seeing out there? Um, I'm on Barber. And I'm trying to get to basketball practice with a few of my buddies. It's like two inches, four inches of snow. It is like we're going like seven miles an hour here. How far away are you from the gym right now? Oh, like how far, Dad? We're trying to get to the Beaverton Y. We're about 15 minutes. There you go. Uh, and, the, and the practice is still on. Coach is saying it's on. Yeah. Practice is still on. Move we'll on. We'll see. We'll see how many people show up. Finn, what position you play? Uh, power forward center. I love it. Big guy. Big guy. When's your next game? Uh, Saturday. All right. G- give us an update. Let us know how you're doing. I appreciate you calling in and giving us the report. Jesse's on I-205 out by the airport. What's going on out there, Jesse? It's awful. Stay home. <laughs> Listen to your favorite radio show at home. Stay. You're, you're advising. People can't drive. You know how Portland is when there's snow. Yeah, so and that. look, if you are at home or you are near home, stay home, do whatever. Listen to a radio show. Take a shower. Take two showers. Take you know you don't want to be out on the road. Do anything but get out on the road. Jesse, are you moving at all? No, I'm. I'm the jerk that tried to get off the highway to take the back road by the airport off 92nd and Alderwood, and it's just bumper to bumper. Nobody's moving. So don't go to the airport and take John's advice. Take two showers at home. Yeah, take two showers. Telling you, you can't go wrong with that, or just take one long shower. Mark's in Canby. Mark, welcome to the show. What do you got? Where are you? Well, I just rolled into home, but, yeah, I left work in downtown near the Moda Center like 310. It took you two and a half hours? Okay, well, I'm an old guy, so I had to stop and use the little boy's room But um, <laughs> at one time. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. You get out, get out to Oregon City, and there's nothing, nothing. I mean, so. Yeah, you mean nothing like there's no, like nobody's moving or there's no traffic? There's no traffic. Um, everything goes smoothly. Um, and it's raining. All right. You're home. You stay home. All right. That's my advice to you. Let's go to Art, who's in Hillsboro. Art, what are you seeing out there? Hey, John. I'm out here delivering pizza for the evening, so uh, tip your delivery drivers if you Yes. What are you seeing? What roads are you looking at? It's not too bad. You know, it's just starting to come down, but uh, there's a lot of traffic, so keep some space, I would recommend. And uh, I've been a delivery driver for many years all different kinds of things and tip your delivery drivers 
Tip your delivery driver is not a bad philosophy to live by. I want more of your phone calls. Tell me where you are. Uh, if you're home, take my advice. Stay home. Take a shower. Take your dog uh, and uh, sit on the sofa. Listen to the sports radio show. Find a game to tune into. Do not get in your car and try to drive unless you have somewhere you absolutely need to be. But I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. No matter where you are, you on I-5? You want 217? You want 26? 205, you on some side street? I want to hear from you. Give us your weather slash traffic report right here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Do you have gas in your tank? Do you have space in front of you? Settle in, relax, don't be impatient. If you're driving in this weather with the snow and uh, what they're calling wintry mix, uh, I want you, uh, they'll call it snowmageddon by the end of things. They'll have all the news crews out on the overpasses, making it look far worse than it is. That's what they do in television news, and it's okay. That's This is what they're here for. Uh, but if you're home right now, I want you to stay home. You should not be out driving around this is no time to run to the grocery store or down the street uh settle in uh we've got some people who are stuck in traffic who are going to give you a weather report uh jacob is on sandy boulevard right now jacob set the scene for us well i just got off of i-205 south uh complete madhouse uh, all the on-ramps are there's a couple crashes on the on-ramps over there and Sandy Boulevard is a complete standstill. Uh, and I just passed that uh, hotel that Anna uh, used to live at. Uh, yeah, don't go out. Don't go outside, man. It is uh, it's a madhouse right now. Yeah, you've got uh, the ability to stay home. You're, so you're on Sandy near like Sandy and 115th in that neighborhood. That was the old uh, motel that Anna and her parents ran. John's on I-5. John, you got to make it quick, but give us your report. Well, I'm a truck driver, and I've been coming up from Tualatin. I'm usually, uh, I left more than an hour and 15 minutes ago from Tualatin, and I'm not even to the Twilliger curves yet. That's how slow it is. It is just stop and go here, going northbound. We're not going anywhere. Give us some advice for people who are driving, not used to driving in this weather. Give advice to other motorists. Well, listen, if you're going to be going north on I-5, put your chains on. We don't have chains. We didn't. It wasn't snowing in Tualatin. Stay off the road. Uh, it, just don't go if you can. But it's, stay it's home. crazy out here. Take a shower. Stay home. Listen to me. Uh, listen, we have Talk Timbers coming up. I wish I could do another hour of radio. I love doing the weather report with you. But if you're out there driving, stay safe. Uh, be patient. That shower's waiting for you when you get at home. <laughs> the bald face truth not here for a long time, just a good time.